0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Latter Day Takes on today's special episode. And I say special because we're actually doing something this time that we've never done before. Maybe we'll keep it up. I'm not sure which direction we want to go there. I'll get to that in a second. But I'm joined by two guests. Brian is actually not here with us today. He's going to be joining us back ASAP when we get back into the groove of things. But on today's episode, it's just me flying solo with two special guests, Andrew Young, who I heard on another podcast, which was the Bringing Up Family podcast, really well done. It was, it was awesome. He details his experiences at DreamWorks Animation specifically as an animator. He's been very successful in his appropriate field. He's been a game artist at Microsoft. He's done a lot of different types of creation with you know Epic Games, specifically a video game company. He's just been around the block, and he had a lot of things to say on that podcast. I'll actually link that podcast in the bio of this podcast because that kind of gives a lot of background to why I wanted Andrew on this podcast, Um, and basically talking about the agenda that is behind these animation studios, and Disney is no exception to that. And He actually comes in and gives examples, and we talk through it, and it's really cool. And Then he also gives suggestions on the best way of combating this as a parent for your children. And then the other guest is uh, Dr. Steve Holliday, who's actually been on the podcast before. Steve is a good friend of mine. He's a professor at the University of Alabama researching children and media specifically. And I thought the combination of those two talking through things was going to be very valuable because Steve's research has been fascinating. He talks a lot about parental mediation, which is basically parents being involved in the child's life, specifically when it comes to consuming media, among many other things, and it was great having him. I, I could not have been happier with how this podcast went. And the special thing about this episode is actually it will be on YouTube. So if you'd rather watch us and watch the examples that Andrew brings in, we have it all there set up on YouTube. It's already there. I'm gonna send. I'm gonna put a link on this bio as well for the YouTube uh, channel that we have. It's gonna, it's the first video that we have as Latter Day Takes. I may do more of that. I'm not sure. We'll see how this goes. Anyway. That's just about it. I want to keep this as short as possible because we go for over two hours, as you can probably see, and you're probably just kind of like, what? But anyway, I do think you'll enjoy it. Listen to it in increments. You know, When you fire up that car, when you're going to your groceries or whatever, just pull us up. I think you'll enjoy this. Let me know how you like it. Uh, Love you all. I hope the week's going well. The summer's basically coming to an end. Um, Wish you all the best, and we'll catch you all on the other side.
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yeah. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not I'll drinking. And they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm, afraid I'm afraid it was, was the, Mormons. the Mormons. Yes, yes the, Mormons the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God
2: loves Mormons and he wants some more.
1: Shout out to the Latter-day Saints.
0: All right, joining me on the podcast today are two very special guests. Now, I'm extremely excited. I'm excited about the dynamic that we're bringing into this episode specifically. Andrew Young, this is the first my first time meeting you and you were gracious enough to join me on the podcast. Kind of kind of out of the blue, like I just approached you on Facebook and you were all for it and I loved it. I had heard your podcast specifically on the uh, was it Raising Family podcast? Is that what it was? Your, your episode on that yep. I was at the I was at the gym listening to that and usually I like to listen to music but I was like I was riveted I'm like this is so this is so engaging I don't want to listen to anything else and so I was I was <laughs> I was floored I was I was blown away and and also I don't know if you know this Andrew I actually don't have children I'm I'm unmarried um and so,
1: that is I don't believe it so I
0: don't believe I uh I, I've been in tune with a lot of this. I have tons of nieces and nephews. Shout out to them. I've got like 38 of them. And so I've got all of that kind of in the back of my mind anyway. And obviously I want to be prepared for when that time comes. And so my what I bring into this conversation will be mainly just kind of questions. And I'm looking forward to letting you guys just kind of take it and run with it. Which brings me to my other guest, Steve Holiday, who's actually been on the podcast before. An old friend of mine from a master's program at BYU. Steve is now a professor at the University of Alabama and he specifically researches children in media, which I, this combination is just a force to be reckoned with, I feel like, because Andrew, let's get into your background before we kind of talk about Steve's expertise. Let's just give kind of a quick breakdown of what, where you've come from and like what led you to where you are today. And I also want to urge people to go to that same podcast that, where I found you, which was the, uh, the Raising Family podcast. Go to that episode because I want that to be kind of informative of this episode because you're, you you extensively go through the background, you talk about kind of what led you to where you are today in that. We'll just do a brief version of that right now, and then kind of get in more into like kind of how to recognize it, how to deal with it, and kind of how vulnerable children can be and things like that. So anyway, Andrew, take it away.
1: Yeah, so that podcast tells the whole story of what happened at DreamWorks and... The questions I get from everyone from that podcast is, what am I supposed to do with my family and show me where this is happening? So I had hoped on your podcast just to take it and answer all of the questions from the first podcast on your show. I still also don't believe you're not married. Girls, what is wrong with you? You got to get this guy. All the girls would (laughs) Uh, tell you it's him. That's a (laughs) sidetrack. Everything's wrong with him.
0: So just so you know.
1: Well... So anyways, I have a really weird background. If you've seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire, uh, yeah. edited, of course, he goes through all these crazy situations that gives him a lot of random answers in life. And that's kind of what happened to me. I started as an artist really young, actually being trained in oh, wow. this room that you're seeing behind me. My mom, tra- my, uh, my mom trained me from a child. Her uh, stepfather trained her. And she, her real father sort of abandoned her, so she associated art with love. And so from the moment we were children, she trained us in art. And it was more of like love for her. So I grew up with, you know, kind of just immersed going to Italy, doing art classes, having nudes on our walls. Kids would come <laughs> over and be like, what is going on? Like uh, studying like Michelangelo, studying like we have art books to this day all over our house. And I went on to BYU, got a scholarship, did the animation program, uh, had offers from Disney right away, had offers from Microsoft, um, had offers from DreamWorks, and uh, I've always thrived. I've never been fired, so I'm really good at what I do. Not to be cocky, I've just been trained for so long and I've gone through so many mistakes that I get it. So I'm really beneficial to a studio. Uh, I've even worked in journalism, uh, KSL MBC. And Project yeah, Veritas. you worked at Project you know Veritas. I didn't know that. I, I do tons oh my for Project Veritas.
0: I so anyways, I feel like I stumbled on a gold mine. It's like we can't.
1: Yeah, I don't uh, want to get into
0: that because I could go down one, that down that rabbit hole for like hours. But
1: no, no, I think actually, I think it's actually important for people to know there are three perspectives I'm going to give you today, and one of them is the Project Veritas perspective. And when you're up late at night editing footage around the globe of doctors, of teachers, of people who do not know they are being recorded and you are getting the raw mind of a person. You are almost in a godly sphere of perception and you're let into a insight, into the inside of people's minds of what they think and what they say when they're not being recorded. And I'll say we actually have a cancer in our country, a sexual cancer that has been talked about in the past that has shaken and rocked me when I have been let into the inside of people's minds without them knowing. Uh, Anyways, I'll get to that in a little bit, but we do have an incredibly uh, deep issue That is not being let out, but exists and we need to help it. I'll get to that in a minute. But anyways, point is the background is DreamWorks. So I worked in the movie industry, Xbox. I worked in the video game industry and journalism. I've worked in the undercover as well as the NBC style journalism. So I've gotten the perspective of basically the three big media worlds and how they're interacting with people. And they are all doing the same thing called social engineering. So if you're listening to this point, that's the background. What I'm going to explain is what is social engineering, how it's being done in movies. Most people want to know how it's being done in DreamWorks, Pixar style. Okay, that's because it's interesting, but I can explain how it's being done in video games, in journalism, and then the broader through universities, through the business culture, uh, such as investment groups and how they're doing the same things to put pressure on businesses movie studios uh journalism networks to socially engineer children or adults but primarily children and the goal of the social engineering is to make people love or hate a group primarily hate a group of people what they stand for what they do Uh, This is not a new thing, but I learned about it when I worked at these companies. I didn't know about it. Even while I was working there, I didn't perceive what we were doing until it was laid out to me. It's that hard to uh, understand, and it's that hurtful to actually realize that it's happening. The human nature is to actually back off and say, there is no way we could possibly be doing this. I don't want to believe we're doing this. And so you actually push against it. And then as soon as you actually realize it's happening, we're doing it, it's harming people, and we're now a decade into it and we're actually seeing people following the social engineering and doing what they've been brainwashed to do, we are now uh, hitting the problems that are happening with it. Problems specifically, the breakup of the family, uh, all of the gender stuff that's going on with children, uh, the, uh, the the, the, the breakup of male leadership, And providing the problems with females and males interaction, the breakup of marriage, the, uh, the breakdown of religion, the breakdown of cultural institutions like the boy Scouts, Disney, which I consider a cultural institution that I actually want to save, not, not hurt, even though they are part of the thing hurting, um, they're hurting themselves, uh, cultural institutions like the heritage foundations, And even things like CNN, which I consider a cultural institution, which is breaking down itself there because I know you asked me about the background, but it's important to front load this. The reason the reason these institutions break down when social engineering is introduced, which I'll explain what it is, is because the organization, whether it be religion like the church we love so much or like the Catholic church whether it be a studio like Disney or what happened to DreamWorks where it completely broke down and fractured, um, which I'll talk about, whether it be like the Boy Scouts, which is in mid-breakdown, or Disney, what happens is once social engineering is introduced as a priority in the organization, it takes priority over the value they bring. So for example, if it's a movie studio, the story in the movie takes secondary priority over the social engineering propaganda and it ruins the value that Disney provides or DreamWorks provides. If it's a religion, the doctrine and the family-like strength that uh, the religion provides takes a secondary seat to the social engineering, and the social engineering ends up making people leave. It makes people uh, not gain the value they're supposed to from that organization, just like the Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts had a great model to help young boys as social engineering became their priority, the the uh, value for young boys diminished, people backed off, they lost their audience, and they break down. It has a two-part uh, consequence. Destroy the organization that provides strength to that culture and simultaneously use that organization to perpetuate uh, brainwashing. Uh, I know brainwashing sounds hurtful. They use other words like an agenda, like... Uh, um social engineering is the term they use they actually openly use social engineering Uh,
0: that's so that's how i learned i didn't know you're not wrong they're absolutely just changing the definition of brainwashing and that's because i've thought about this too because a lot of people say like oh well what you do in the church is brainwashing children it's like hold on what is the no no no
1: i can tell you the difference i mean i I, you'd like to know i know there's a difference difference.
0: and i and i want to hear from you in a second but my whole thing is that like whether or not you call it brainwashing or not, little kids have to learn something. They have to learn values. They have to have, they have to grow up into a society being fed something. And it's not like they, so I think a lot of people have extended their version of brainwashing into basically telling them anything. And so anyway, I like what did you have a, what was, what's the difference to you?
1: Yeah, there's, there's, a, there, there's an enormous difference and a lot of it comes to your intent. Okay. This is important to understand Cause I have children. You have to yeah. teach them something. Okay. But is your intent to break them down and destroy their agency and make them into something you are imposing on them or is your intent to empower them to empower them with freedom, the ability to choice, choose, are you giving them informed social engineering or teachings Are you giving them choice or are you destroying their choice? What we are doing in the video game industry and in the uh, youth or children's animation industry is destroying their choice, okay? We are are taking away—the intent is not to build up the child. The intent is to machine the child. The intent is to groom the child, to make the child what top-down says the child should become— not what bottom up the child chooses yeah. to develop. So it's very different. That's a good point. It's very different. Okay. So and and I can give examples of how you learn something from say a good teacher in school that is teaching education and I can give an example of what a bad professor is teaching that is social engineering. And generally generally you will find it easiest by the teacher not teaching the subject They are telling the student they are teaching. So for example, you get in a class about music and all of a sudden that class turns very quickly into feminism or into anti-religion, social engineering. You get into a class about music and the teacher is empowering the child to choose how that child or that adult wants to do music and what they want to do with it. And they're teaching them skill sets. That is not social engineering. That is providing a child the ability to engineer what they choose what they want to do. So it's very different but that's how you can catch it when we're doing movies we're coming at the audience and we're saying we are giving this is our this was our mission we are giving the children laughter okay that was straight from katzenberg that's what that was our mission you are waking you are, you are going into a theater and you are providing the children with laughter which is a beautiful mission mm-hmm. it's a beautiful mission well that flipped that flipped as soon as we made social engineering the priority that flipped to we are making the child not like men, especially if they're straight. We are making the child not like capitalism. We are not. We are making the child not like uh, conservatism. We are making the child not like religion, and we are making the child uh, basically hate anyone who exemplifies or is that type of a person. By and and I can explain this. What happens is you take the people you want the child to hate. Okay, let's take, for example, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because this is one of the targets. You take the people you want the child to hate. You have the villain in the movie say the things, look like, and do the things that members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints do and say, and then you have that villain do something psychotic. At that moment, the child will associate psychopaths with members of the church of jesus christ of Latter-day saints and you can reverse that you can reverse that and that is happening as well too where you take something that the child does not naturally embrace and you can make that a hero and then you can have that hero do something that you want that child to associate with a hero and generally it is anti-family anti-religion anti-conservative and that's what, that's what social – that's how So before we done. proceed
0: in that same vein, I want to give a little bit of a shout-out to Steve, kind of give his introduction. But then I also think what you had mentioned is something that I really want Steve to speak on. Also, before we introduce Steve, I, uh, I'm going to do something a little bit unconventional here with the podcast. I actually want the primary conversation to take place between you two. Both of you are fathers, and both of you are experts in your appropriate fields. And I'm merely just, I'm going to play the role of the audience. I'm going to inject myself when I see fit, maybe ask clarifying questions and things like that. But I actually want the conversation to primarily take place strictly between you two. So I'm going to kind of hand it off to Steve to introduce himself. And then specifically, Steve, if you could talk about, because Andrew had just mentioned, the child starts to develop an association with, oh, the hero is combating The enemy, and the enemy is for these things that say like family values or anything like that. And Andrew, you did a great job in that pot in that raising family podcast, talking specifically about the enemy in uh, Mister Peabody and Sherman, and how he was he was kind of like talking about like the or, or or whoever that antagonist was was talking about like traditionalism and family values and things like that, and they were the enemy. Anyway, Steve, what's the age after you introduce yourself? Talk about the age at which children start to associate. Make those associations and develop those type of connections.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, so my background, I uh, I'm from a very large family. Grew up uh, the ninth of ten children. Uh, grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints. Um, and also professionally, I uh, I work. I've worked in marketing uh, in the industry for over a decade. I worked in, uh, after getting my undergraduate degree, I worked in marketing for over a decade, specifically most of the time um, speaking to audiences that were young mothers uh, with multiple children. Um, and then I came back to academics and my academic journey, I, uh, specific, uh, I focused my efforts on under, understanding advertising to children and families. So understanding the message content, understanding how the child develops, how they um, gain a consumer identity, what factors play a role in helping them to form that consumer identity, and and specifically where my interests fall there is once they as they're developing that, what role does the family play? What role does the family play in communication with the child and helping the child understand what the marketplace looks like? Um, and giving them that kind of guidance as they develop as a consumer. Um, I've looked into things like um, product placement in children's picture books, uh, child YouTube influencers, uh, and the facial expressions they use. I I look a little bit into uh, what we call addressable advertising or personalized advertising or connected TV. So how do we collect data based on – consumer behaviors across digital media and use that data to reserve information or to hyper-target somebody, Uh, especially children and families is where I've kind of focused. Uh, How do we, and that kind of plays into the idea of social engineering too. Some of the original social engineering was actually like phishing scams before we ever got into what Andrew's been talking about. And so how do we collect personalized data from you to make sure you're our right audience so that we can give you a message that speaks right to your heart so you're going to respond to us so you're going to think that we're empathetic so that you're going to think that we're on your side. Um, and so playing, I play with that kind of data too across social media. I, I do social media analytics and then I also do biometric analysis. So I look at the story that our bodies tell um, through our eye movement, through our heart rate, through our sweaty palms, um, through our brain activity. You specifically as we do engage that to children, my-
0: right? With ch- you m- you measure yeah, children's yeah. palpitations and things like that. Yeah,
2: yeah so I measure That's children awesome. and their mother's psychophysiology in response to different kinds of advertising. Incredible. Uh, and then and then seeing what their family communication styles are like in
0: their home. So let's talk about the ages, and 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 I don't want to put the cart before the horse. I know specifically that in research that either you've done or at least certainly secondary have used in your own research, the age of eight is significant in that realm, like outside of the church. <laughs> like Go figure, that age kind of keeps popping up in the research with a lot of people in your field that have zero associations with the church. Some of them may not even believe in God.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So there is it. And I'm actually honestly amazed. I was amazed when I first encountered it. So it shouldn't surprise me anymore. But I, it becomes so second nature to me that I'll bring it up to a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, or the church and and tell them about this. And a light goes off in their head. Like science is always catching up to doctrine. Um, and it's, it's, true. it's that well is such a good quote. Science, science is, is always like, catching up to doctrine. <laughs> it's like a testimony. it's always catching up with
1: it's it and the world is always catching up to prophecy oh yeah it's like two of the big it's like two of the big uh testimony but then the
0: problem is is that they like reconceptualize it and they're like oh so we are here they uh, there are religions that have predicted this but it can't be because of what they said it's got to be other natural explanation or whatever i love how they repackage
2: those ideas (laughs) anyway
1: not no, too many of them. But Keep going. Sorry. No, I, you.
2: I mean, but the research is, it's very assertive now that, that children around the age of eight. So by age eight, between ages of, you know, depending on child six and nine, uh, a child develops the ability to do a number of amazing things cognitively. Like they can understand another person's perspective. So I can see what I want to do versus what my parents want me to do or what I want to do versus what God wants me to do. Um, They can develop, they develop empathy. They start to be able to understand uh, what somebody else is feeling and what somebody else is thinking. I can understand, I can think from another person's perspective. Uh, This is where they start to develop, really develop concrete values when it comes to honesty um, and so there's these processes that happen right around this age, which are fascinating in and of themselves, but also coincide with a lot of doctrine that has to do with when are children actually able to identify that I have a testimony or that I identify when um, I understand or I want to do something um, like like be baptized or, or that I really want to learn more about this gospel topic for myself. Um, we start to see those things when it comes to the consumer marketplace there's a number of stages there right like when I the child when the child first starts <clears throat> to engage with the marketplace a lot of it's perceptual so I don't have the ability to to think through what the purpose of is it uh, what the purpose of it is or um, why I'm coming to it I'm exposed to brands I'm exposed to logos starting at about by age four, children have developed relationships with brands that will that will persist through their entire. Is that
0: life. A, is that strictly in the branding and marketing world, or is that like they develop relationships at age four with ideas yeah, and that's like s- like villains or heroes in an animated series or sure. movie?
2: Yeah, no, we start to develop those kind of, uh, well, and those are brands. I mean, when you think about it, a person is a brand. And when I look in social media all the time, we're always identifying how influencers are a brand, how someone on social media is building their personal brand. And so there is some kind of a brand identity that, yeah, if you think about it, you may not remember who your pre-K teacher was, uh, but you do remember who your favorite cartoon character was from your cartoons when you were four years old right? We know those things. We know mm-hmm. what our favorite cereal was. We know that there was a Walmart in our town, uh, which by the way, uh, which speaking of that children, when they're that young, two, three, four years old, can't read the word Walmart, but they can look at that sign and tell you that that's Walmart. So now there's contextualization mm-hmm. and children, as they learn to be literate, they decontextualize those visual means or they break them apart. And as I'm learning the sound of the W or the A, now I can start piecing it together. Um, and so we start to engage with brands. Suffice it to say, it starts
0: as, at a very young age. Uh, Steve, yeah, are there yeah. are there any questions that come to mind that you have directly for Andrew, considering his background and things like that? I mean, yeah, you could do a whole paper off of just talking with him. Probably. Well, I have,
1: I have questions <laughs> oh, let's, for. Let's start there. I have then. Questions yeah. for Steve. <laughs> so, Steve, two things. Uh, at Microsoft, we would take boys, and we would have them in another room. We would be behind. We would be behind dark glass watching them play video games. And we would be watching for one thing and asking them questions, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Goal was to get them to play as long as mm-hmm. possible. As long as possible. We would even at the very end when they were about to leave, bring out the most popular video game that was out and the video game we were just testing them on and say, hey, we're gonna give you 20 more minutes. Do you wanna play this game that's the most popular and you wanna keep playing our game? And that would basically by their choice say if we were on par with the best video game i just want you to talk about sorry what oh these are anywhere from 11 to they're as young or as old as you can get these are teenagers Mm -hmm. these are teenagers and tweens and younger i tell this to parents often because i want them to know uh, achievements are not in Mm -hmm. video games because you're actually Mm -hmm. achieving anything the achievements are for the video game maker to say he got this far we got to get him further. We got to get him further. We Although them further. I I will push back. So my
0: 15 year old self would beg to differ when it came to having BYU win the national championship in NCAA football. Just FYI, <laughs> like I did win that. I did achieve that.
2: Or I've got I've got some I'm apps talking, I play. That I'm talking about. Uh, I've got apps I play that like I can't. Uh, I'm not willing to pay to get any further, and so
1: it stops working for <laughs> me, right? Because I'm like I'm not paying money.
2: Um, even though I know what you want. Anyway, me to sorry, do, but little
1: kids. Now. I've derailed us, Andrew. I'm sorry. No, that's good. That's good. That's good, I th- but I think people should know how invested Absolutely. the company is at keeping your child there as long <clears throat> as possible. So I regulate, I regulate our games at our house and our videos. Uh, I have a safe. I'll put them in there if it goes too long. Um, I was going to ask, though, the question is, I have found two instances of the most early social engineering on children I could find. I don't know if you know about them. The first is the Holocaust, and I don't know if you've researched it, where they were using... Uh, children's storybooks, and they were using um, symphonies and music composed to social engineer uh, Jewish people as the enemy. Are you familiar with all of that? With that, I'm at familiar
2: all? with the education curriculum that the German state used. Um, I, personally, I don't dig into that literature, but I'm familiar with the the way they used it to socially engineer that. And it, and honestly, in speaking to our audiences, yes, like I, this is. This is something that, like you said earlier, Andrew, it can be done for good or it can be done to, um, to scare people. It can be done to advance an agenda or to brainwash. It can also be done to do really good things. Um, one, of the side of, one of the side effects, one that I ran into um, the, that I've started playing with was back in, oh gosh, now I'm going to get my year wrong um back in 19 that, hold on not a, I don't probably want not
0: to a huge you. deal for the record if you get the year exactly right but okay like what, right. a decade so, it probably okay. so back
2: in the early 1980s yeah. i'll say back in the early 1980s nasa introduced this awesome program because they knew that the first teacher in space was going was going on a was going That's on the a challenger ship, right, right? they knew he- yeah. Yep, they knew that Krista McAuliffe was put on the on the Challenger and they knew that they could introduce space curriculum into the education in a way that would get students really excited and children really excited about space that, in a way and, and rockets and astronauts in a way they've never had before. And so they actually, I've looked at the actual curriculum that NASA and the um, National Teachers Science Education Foundation, somebody can fact check yes, us and get okay. that those initials right. But it um but they put together a curriculum that took students in December and January before the Challenger launched that took students through, hey, these are the people on the Challenger. This is what their personal lives are like. These are these are the roles they have. Matter of fact in this activity you're gonna pretend to be this person's role. So you identify with them and understand who this person is and you get this person's mindset and what they're going through. Um And we systematically got children so excited about the Challenger launch that the Challenger launch, the live viewing of the Challenger launch, and I have to make sure I say this right, is the single largest viewed catastrophe ever witnessed in live moment to moment by children in the history of
1: mankind. Because we were saying that's that the one that that's yeah, the exploded one that exploded on up. takeoff. Yeah. And there's actually a documentary up,
0: on Netflix that details all of this. That is riveting. I would encourage anyone to go look into that It's a really well done documentary. But Steve, sorry.
1: Yeah, I liked your story till the end of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the idea is I, and it didn't scare children
2: I, away from space. As I read about it and looked at it later, children became more more. Um, more there was a lot of trauma so there's a lot of research on the trauma that children experienced and had to go through um but we but we made sure that those children were sitting there and i'm not saying that was for a nefarious purpose um no no it's actually
1: this is good you brought this up i would say to parents and people watching okay let's let's take this at face value let's use this example as if they were trying to do something good okay uh that that's fine what i've found though Is if it's good, they are letting people know what they are trying to do. Okay, so if they want to get kids into space, then they are saying, blatantly in the front, we are trying to do this to get kids interested in space. Now they could have been doing this because they want to get more military games, money, things like that, and they want to get kids into this. Money, they want to push it. They want to push it. Almost in no case have I ever seen social engineering. You're giving examples for good. I almost never used for good because you do not need to engineer. Sure. It's a really you are just point. blatantly transparent about yeah. it. So yeah. I, I, you got to be really careful because I don't want someone to walk away saying you have been engineered in a good way. It's, I would say the engineering isn't even there yeah. because they're just simply saying this is a beautiful science. Rockets are a beautiful thing. And like Elon, it's not coming from the top down. It's coming from the bottom up. Yeah. So just when you're – if there's a parent out there saying, well, why? Is this movie doing good stuff? Mm. Or is this journalism doing good engineering and bad engineering? You don't have to ask yourself because there will be no engineering in it. That's, it will just be such blatant, a good transparent such a good publishing of information. Here's,
2: here's the situation, so, though, with what, you, what you're saying, though, Andrew. And I completely agree with you. Um and I I remember on your the your other podcast you were talking about this about how parents need to or about how the industry should say hey let me give you a disclaimer about this that this is what we're going to do That's right. That the, the that was our with deal with that the I tried. The disclaimer understanding them. the way children develop though the problem with the disclaimer is that only works with parents. Um a disclaimer will never will will never work with won't, won't work well. It won't work well with most children under developmental age because what we see in the consumer development literature, again, I talked about some of the cool things that happen around between ages seven, nine, six, and nine. Another thing that happens there is before age eight, there's some awesome research um, by, by a number of people, Freestadt and Wright, Deborah Roderjohn, um a lot of really cool research out there that talks about how something happens between eight and nine, where before age nine or age eight, somewhere in that year, children may see a disclaimer they may see something um, they may see advertising they may see promotional literature in this case they may see propaganda literature they don't have the cognitive ability to think through hey this is trying to sell me something or this is trying to persuade me to feel a certain way they're doing this they're showing um kids eating Uh, trick cereal and laughing and sharing it with each other because they want me to feel good about it. Children don't get that. They receive the message from it and they associate it and they socially learn from what's going on. But you can throw whatever disclaimer you want as a kid, a kid on their own developing without some kind of parental interaction by a parent who's literate in what those are and talks to their child about what those are. The child has no ability to stop and cognitively process and self-reflect on what that message actually is. And if they like it, and if they want it, do I actually want that product? Or do I want it because those kids are laughing and giggling and they're showing me how to eat it and they're saying it's delicious? Uh, or do I do I actually want it? Do, do I recognize that you, you're trying so to Steve... make me feel happy about it? or And I don't feel happy about it? They, they can't parse that until they get to a certain age in
1: child development. So Steve has hit the nail on the head. He has, uh, he, has, he has actually got us to the crux, the core, the most important piece of this entire issue. And that is, this stuff isn't going away. They're not putting disclaimers in it. And even if they did, a child does not have the ability to understand what is happening. Okay, he has nailed everything. I hope if you're listening in the podcast, this is the moment you are listening to. You now have a situation where the child cannot defend itself. Okay, by the way, we know this. We know this in video games, we know this in movies, we know this in journalism, and we know that even most adults cannot defend themselves with or without a disclaimer. Okay, it helps, but it won't even help all of them, and most of them it will not do anything. So, this is the situation we have the child can't defend themselves, there's no disclaimer. This stuff isn't going away. So Steve has hit the nail right on the head. What has got to be in place to fix all of this? And parents ask me this all the time. What am I supposed to do? I can't turn this stuff off. I don't have, I'm not making this stuff for my kids. What am I supposed to do? And this is what I hope you'll listen to. In the scriptures, it talks about false prophets, okay? But what it doesn't talk about is false parents, okay? False parents are these movies, these propaganda campaigns, this journalism that uh, i I should say false ger- journalism. There's about two percent of it that's still good. These business campaigns that we're that we're seeing, okay, these business <laughs> campaigns fair. that we're seeing uh to try to socially engineer the parent has got to become stronger, more time, more in place, more relevant, more uh influential than any of these other false parents with or without a disclaimer, because you're not going to get a disclaimer anyways. The parent has to know how to identify social engineering. The parent has to be the first line of defense with a child. That's This is what I'm doing. Every time we see a show, I have to explain it to my daughter. Okay, Goldie, this is why they're doing this. This is what's happening. The parent has to build structure where all the other false parents are tearing it apart. The parent has to intervene and spend more time with the child than the movies are. If you leave your child in front of a TV for six hours a day and they're on repeat watching the Lego movie or Frozen or if they're older watching journalism or they're watching some very, very aggressive YouTube shows or porn all the way to porn and your parent or the parent is not there to intervene and help redirect that, help explain it help educate that child is going to be social engineer. So that's why I tell parents every single time they ask me, what am I supposed to do? I tell them, you've got to be the parent. You have to be the number one influence in their life. You've got to be stronger than any of these other false parents that are, that are trying to influence your child that are all the way up to a professor. You send your, you send your child to a college or a university and they go in to become a chef and they come out not knowing what their gender is, they come out not having a degree, they come out having graduated in something that has no value, and you ask, what just happened? And that is the parent was swapped. The parent was swapped. So anyways, that's what that's what I tell okay, people. So if Steve. I can
2: build on that, Andrew, because there's a couple things Please. there. There's a couple things there that I wanna take a couple steps at and help explain and break some of this apart. Um, one of the things that you're talking about is called parental mediation. Parental mediation is a cool thing. And there's some really cool research that's been going on since, I mean, for a long time, but we get into the 2000s, the 2010s, and there's some fascinating research that talks about parental mediation, the parental role. And this is why I said at the beginning, my role is looking at how the parent can play an active role in mitigating the influence that advertising can have on a child's response or child development, especially when the child can't respond and can't, when they're being, they're accepting and they're thinking things are really cool, but they don't have the cognitive ability to stop and consider those things. So in parental mediation, we've got a couple different types of parental mediation, which when you talk about swapping out the parent,
1: so first of all, that was, that was what our goal was. Yeah. Essentially, pa- parents were one of our greatest yeah. targets to remove. I'll tell
2: you what's worse. Let's, let's go start with that.
0: That just sounds um, what's awful, worse? by the way, pa- parents were one of our greatest targets to remove. Anyway, I just had to say that that sounds so sinister. Oh,
1: fathers, st- <clears throat> stable fathers, stable mothers, unless they are gay, or unless they have an extreme distance from the child are never cool, never eloquent. Never good at solving things. If we watch some of the clips I've got it frozen, you'll see what they do to elderly and parents. One of the, that that is one of the primary targets so is ugly. to remove. So parents. one
2: of the clips that fascinate. Uh, it's not one of your clips, but my children to this day have not seen the film Turning Red. Um, and my children aren't young. They they were young and they um they grew up, but my children still haven't seen the movie Turning Red, which is this wonderful movie about culture, according to some people. But for me personally, and I, I watch a lot of films, um, but. But the way they vilify um, motherhood and the way they vilify um, a pe- the the, 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 mer- the mother and turn her into a monster in that film, for me, was more than the child's sexual development, the child social development, that stuff. I was like, you know what? I've got a teenager. She can navigate those things and we can talk through that. Um, can't. And a, one of the reasons you can't do it, this, I'm going to step back and I'll get back to what I was going to say because of what you said. The One of the reasons a child can't do that Is there's this interesting phenomenon that happens in young children where children when they're born when you look into the fear literature and in young children they're afraid of scary things so like this Hulk up here behind me little children are really afraid of Hulk really really little children are really afraid of a huge 60-foot panda that's yelling at their child saying I'm your mother Um, visually that terrifies children that creates a villain that, that gets deep in their psyche as I become eight or nine, I can start to parse that. The issue is a little kid. Sorry, I'm talking really fast because I'm really excited about this. No, but, I love it, man. Bring the heat. Um, a little kid, um, when they see media, they think that's real. So when my little kids saw Anna and Elsa, um, fell in love with Anna and Elsa, they thought they were real people. When son's frozen for um, those saw, just for the record. Yeah, frozen. When my son saw The Nightmare Before Christmas and got to know Jack Skellington, he thought he was watching the, the, the documentary about Jack Skellington. That's just the way a child's mind processes. That's what you think is happening. My children, when they got a little older, went to Disneyland and met Anna and Elsa at the, at the Disney castle. And in their minds as we talked to them, they, they explained to us that, oh yeah, Anna and Elsa, though that's the real Anna and Elsa. They've just come on a trip from Arendelle to meet us here at the castle and they're going back. And then when the ch- my ch- children got older, now they know that it's fiction and it's a story. And it goes with that. When a child see this scary representation of Hulk or of something else being scary and then deliberately trying to be scary, that goes deep into their psyche. But there's a shift that happens when they start to realize that, oh, those people aren't real. Now I start to become scared of like haunted stuff or um, or demonic stuff, right? Like I, situational stuff fear starts to take prevalence over this kind of fear and so there's that shift that happens that when we're talking about vilifying and demonizing that you can do that in young children's art animation advertising in a way that speaks to the child's psyche because they're already predisposed to think of that ugly monster and be scared of it anyway so then you associate the kind of things you're talking with and and it becomes really easy to pair so So my question for you on an animator side is looking back over some of the animation that you've done, do you see that, that when we want to create villains, we create visual villains rather than situational fear and situational um, where it's scary in situation. We create it more visually.
1: Uh, 100%. I actually didn't know how we were doing it. Yes, it's visual. It's also just taking advantage of our natural. I don't like that. So when someone is mean, when someone is aggressive, like for example, to animals, there's just 99.90% of people will repulse and not like that individual or that group doing that when something is short and, and just brutal to children. And so that is a way you can, uh, we would, that is how we would uh, paint these figures in That's journalism. You right. villain.
2: it's, right, it's a right. heuristic and, to create a villain because I we all associate and agree on that.
1: Or a hero. There are certain things a hero mm-hmm. will always do. And then you associate what you want. For example, there is an enormous fight right now to destroy heterosexual couples. And so we will always have the heroes be gay or do something that will uh, show them in a good light and show heterosexuals in a negative light it's just what we were doing um i want to say though this just so everyone knows this is not just in animation animation is just the one targeting children well modern and family I is actually, a really
0: good example of what you're talking about like phil dunphy was very likable but also a bumbling idiot for 90 percent of that show
1: they they all are and this gets to i don't know if you want to go to this place but this gets to why why are we doing this why? Who is doing this and what is the end goal? Why do you want uh children to not like stable fathers? Why do you want people to not be in stable marriages? Why do you want religion, Boy Scouts, Disney, these type of group uh, the church, why do you want these things to have less presence, less power, and less
0: influence? The replacement that you're talking I belie- about.
1: Well, I, I, I personally believe it is evil it is satanic it is also the goal of foreign countries to break down the fabric of america for the power and the wealth and the opportunity they can have by america fathers religion uh stable culture stable families being broken down and being taken out of the way it's a weird thing to go into the why but you have to ask why is this happening why are we doing this and then you have to say what am i going to do about it What am I going to do? You got to be the stable parent where you see structure breaking down. You've got to add the structure. I brought something. Uh, This is what every business does that is stable. You got to do it in your family. You Mm got to make a family mission statement. You got to make a family mission statement of what you stand for. When you start seeing family breaking down, you got to double down on structure to build it back up. Ours is we put God first, then we put our family first. We help each other with our burdens, our pains, our problems. We love each other. We work hard. We are not afraid. We do what is right. We are honest. We are brave. We get up when we fall. We are kind and talk nice to each other. And then everyone signed it, each one of my kids. I love that. And my kids my kids hold me to it. We have structure everywhere we see right now. And media is one of the greatest uh, tools breaking it down as we're seeing our structure breaking down we're seeing our universities breaking down we're seeing our families breaking down we're seeing our religions breaking down i would plead with people to double down on building them back up i am watching a slow-mo car crash right now with disney and, I, and i'm and my, i'm i'm heartbroken i've been to the studio i've been multiple offers it's it is one of the greatest things in our world is what walt created and what John Lasseter built upon with Pixar, and what several others built. And I see all these toys behind Steve. These are beautiful characters, they're not bad. I understand we are not mad at Disney, we're not mad at DreamWorks. We're heartbroken that they are introducing social engineering and that they are self-corrupting and self-breaking down, and we want them to switch it. We're watching Disney do this in slow motion, their, their movies are no longer profitable. Pixar had never had a bad movie. They could never be beat. And right now they can't make a single profitable movie because they have destroyed the story. They have destroyed the stories. Isn't Disney running it, on like
0: five movies in a row that have all lost money in like this year yeah, or something?
1: And, and, no, and no studio can handle two. No studio can handle two. The only reason Disney is alive right now, and they've lost over 50% of their value, oh, okay. Man. the only reason they are alive is because they have cruise ships, they have a diversified portfolio of assets. If they were still just a studio, like DreamWorks was, they tried They'd to diversify, gone. but they couldn't. That's They're gone now. Yeah. Disney would not be able to weather this. So I give them a couple more years of decision-making before you start seeing fracturing. And the entire media world is trying to prop them up. But they can't because they're losing their intrinsic value of that of a good family story. And the reason I think people should compare Disney and our church and the Catholic Church and the Boy Scouts is because they are all utilizing the same audience. Yeah. You cannot offend and break apart the family audience. Being a company or an organization that lives off of the family audience and think you have a future. Walt Disney's crying. He, he's 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 bawling. Walt Disney is bawling, and he's one of the ones who fought hardest against social engineering. Back in the '50s, '60s, there was an enormous push to utilize Disney and other studios for political reasons, and he was fighting with Reagan and others to try to say we have got to get this out of the studio. We cannot be promoting communism in our studio. Children are not asking for it. Parents are not asking for it. This is not what our uh, movies were intended to be. And he was able to root it out. Sadly, we do not have leaders in media strong enough to pull it out. And so that's that's what we're going through right now.
0: Uh, have you? I mean, you just saying that also is just kind of crazy how far we've come in in relatively short time too. Right now, have you guys, either of you seen what the new Snow White for the live live action Snow White that's coming out or has come out? I don't know. It's close. If it hasn't come out, it's coming out soon. What she's been saying, like the media
1: yeah. journey she's yeah. been on,
0: she's been saying things like, yeah, this isn't your grandma's Snow White. Like, she's all about female empowerment. Like, in fact, this Snow White doesn't even need a prince and blah, blah, do you know?
1: Do you know what Disney's motto is? Do, do you guys know what it is? I couldn't tell you. It blew my, blew my mind. This, this is mind-blowing. It came from Disney when he was walking through Disneyland, Walt. And he saw a cowboy walking through uh, Tomorrowland. And he lost his mind. He's like, what are you doing? What, what are you doing here? Why are you in Tomorrowland? You're ruining the entire thing. There was a cowboy from Adventureland walking through Tomorrowland, ruining his entire vision of what Tomorrowland was supposed to be, which was the future. And there was a cowboy, and he said, every single guest is now, you've broken apart all of Disneyland. And the cowboy looked at him, and he was like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. This is the way I have to go to get in and out. He had no idea. And right then, Disney learned what I think is one of the most beautiful models I've ever heard. They never say this motto outside of Disney, but inside they do. And I have many friends that work there, and what's interesting is they're not telling it to him anymore. And the motto is, every problem can be traced back to leadership. Ooh. Every problem can be traced back to leadership. And Disney said it that day. He said, the reason we are ruining Disneyland, which at the time was saving the studio, uh, because the studio was very volatile. Movies were very volatile. Some would make money, some would destroy their bank account. But the, but the, but the theme park was stable. And so he, they, he was worried about that, that thing having problems and cracking. And so he said, this is not the Cowboys' fault. This is my fault. I've never explained it to him. I never told him. He doesn't know my vision. This is not his fault. This is my fault. And he was smart enough to realize that it was his fault why it was crumbling. And he fixed it right away. They made tunnels. They made other ways that they could go around. They trained everyone. They stopped calling them employees. And they called them cast members. And they do the similar thing at DreamWorks. Just most uh, people don't know it as well because it's not as big. And from that point on, every executive's door was open. Everyone was able to make solutions and it was bottom up. And that's how Disney has thrived for so long and become so great. And uh, today they are not following their own motto that Mm. every problem can be traced back to leadership. They are switching CEOs. They are making movies and they have no idea why they are blaming the people. They are blaming COVID. They are blaming the situation and they're not following their own motto, which is every problem can be traced back to leadership. And right now that's who should own it. And that's why we fell too. That's why DreamWorks fell. Yeah. Uh, the the owner, who I love, I revere him. I, I think he is one of the great. I think he is Disney is like probably number one. He's right next to him. He did Lion King. He did Beauty and the Beast. He did Jeffrey Katzenberg. He did Trek. He did my the greatest movie that I love, uh, Prince of Egypt, is what I grew up on.
0: That was Katzenberg's big uh, one, right? That was kind of like what put him on the map, or not on the map. Obviously, he did Disney, but like Katzenberg's. That was dreamworks like really I was, got put on the map from mm-hmm. prince of egypt i thought
1: he is a visionary leader like disney but he lacks one thing magic he lacks one thing magic mm. disney had magic he didn't have magic he had business savvy and that was the difference between katzenberg and disney katzenberg yes he broke away when they did the big lawsuit over lion king he won so he actually owns lion king not disney And uh, he went off and started DreamWorks in the library and created a beautiful vision for a beautiful studio. It's the studio I signed up for. It's the vision I went for. And that was Spielberg, Geffen, and Katzenberg were going to create the Paramount studio to tell stories that even Disney couldn't tell. Like Prince of Egypt, and they made the most beautiful movie. There has never been a time when you got Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston together, never. (laughs) And he did it, he did it and created some of the songs that will live out for eternity. Those songs, When You Believe.
0: Oh, and I I, I got to see, and and, sorry, you're just reminding me, but I got to see Brian Stokes Mitchell sing uh, (laughs) Through Heaven's Eyes with Motab because he came for one of the Christmas uh, concerts. I saw that live, and it's beautiful. That song is beautiful.
1: That's what this is about. That's why we're here. That's what it's about. And it's, it, it's, it's going away. It's being ruined. It, it, we're losing it. We're losing it. And I don't know. I, I do know. We have, there's not an option. We have to bring it back. We have to bring it back. We have to get politicians out of storytelling. We have to get organizations that want to do social engineering, foreign and domestic, out of the storytelling, do you know that China has a say and owns the largest movie theater in America? Does people don't know this? Do you know that they have a say in what can and cannot be in a character and in a movie in America? Okay, or yeah, it doesn't yeah, play yeah. in AM, AMC. Well, like okay, even so they, this, they like
0: re like like photoshopped Tom Cruise's jacket because he had like a Taiwanese flag for for Top Gun Maverick, just, and they like took it out for the movies
2: in China. Oh,
1: it's mind blowing! So it's mind blowing. So I, I just. So I
2: think, I don't have the solution. I don't have the answer for this. Um, I think one of the really big important things though that we need to express here and that people need to hear is that it has to start in the family. Totally, 100%. It has to start in the home because the way that streaming content is made right now is just to cycle your children and cycle you through this endless loop of just content you're consuming. And a lot of times... We put our children in front of this content, and we don't know what that content is.
1: One hundred percent. Or
2: and we say, you know what? I can't watch everything my child watches, or I can't know everything they're doing. Then a personally, this isn't. But personally, I think you're giving your child too much screen time if that's the case. But um, but aside from that, like what the one of the fascinating things about the research on parental mediation is a long time ago and a long time ago in this podcast, Andrew, you mentioned. That they want to swap out the parent.
1: Yep. Um, you got to get rid of them. There,
2: there, there are three different kinds of parenting that we talk about and when it comes to media mediation. The first one is restrictive mediation, which works really well with younger kids where we're like, hey, you're not, a, you're not old enough to watch this or um, you won't understand what's going on here. You're not old enough to process what this is, so I'm going to restrict it from you and I'm going to keep you from, from watching content works really well with little kids. It helps them to focus their development. It helps them to not get inundated with just too much media that overwhelms them. The problem is when you start to become an adolescent or pre-adolescent, you start to see it at school, like media at school. Teachers show things or they give you or they give kids screen time in the schools or uh, you start to use media for learning objectives or I'm at my friend's house playing on their Xbox or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the parent can't be everywhere that you're watching it. And so then it becomes really important. And this kind of, we, as parents take an active, deliberate role in communicating about, and this was what yeah, Andrew that's was the saying. Key. That's like, the key. We have to be able to talk about it and say, Hey, how does this make you feel? Like this is the content that's here. And that can be anything on a consumer level. Like, Hey, why do you think they're eating this cereal? Or why do you think that that person is being mean to that other person? Um, Do you think what, do you think the way those colors are, how they, you can talk about this on a lot of different levels, but having some kind of communication that unlocks the children's ability Uh to be able to process and communicate about what this content is, allows them to develop, become what we call a dynamic consumer where I can, I can now be in control of what I'm learning. I can then start seeing a show if I've had this conversation with my child, with my parents, I can see a show and I can process that and I can process through those questions. Um, the one piece that I'll come back to, the third part of, of <clears throat> parental mediation that is worse than what Andrew said of swapping out the parent is leaving the parent in the media space. I know it sounds weird, but leaving the parent in the media space, in the media consumption consumption process and the parent not talking to their child. Yeah, indifference. Indifference is the. Some kind of media,
1: what's that? I'd say indifference. It's the worst.
2: Yeah, or indifference, or ignorance, or fear. Sometimes it's social apprehension, right? Communication apprehension is a really big deal. I'm sitting watching a show with my child. I'm like, oh, that doesn't. I, I don't believe in that politically, or that goes against my religious beliefs, or um, or that that. I'm uncomfortable with that sex scene, or I'm comfortable, I'm uncomfortable with those perf- that profane language, and I'm so paralyzed with discomfort or ignorance or apprehension that, I'd
0: rather not that say anything I don't at all. Talk about. Yeah.
1: So that's what
2: we're yeah, doing. I'd rather not say that's- anything and hope my child just doesn't notice because what literature consistently shows is in that situation, the child is still processing. Right, the child is aware that you're sitting there watching the media with them, and they very clearly it validates it. Infer that you are okay. It acts with it. as a de facto right. endorsement. It's validation. It's yeah. not. It's not your uncomfort and your apprehension anymore. It's validation. So, if as, a, if as a media person, if I was really trying to to um, to create propaganda, I would create those kind of situations. I'm not endorsing those, but I'm saying as a parent, if you're a parent listening to this and watching this, you need to understand that you being uncomfortable to have these conversations is the worst possible media situation for everything we've
1: been talking about today. Yeah. uh, That's what we're doing. It's it's monkey see, monkey do. So what we're doing right now is we're training the parent. That's what we're trying to do right now. The parent might not know how to explain this to the kid. You got to put the scriptures and God first. Those will give you the answers. Oh, uh, do I know how to explain this? Does this go along with the historical documented scriptures that show timeless truths? No. Okay. I got to be the parent. He's going to do whatever I say. He's going to do whatever I do. He wants to be just like me. I've got to be that stable structural force. So you put God in the scriptures first. Time equals love. You're there with the child more than the media, more than anything else. Yet, um, you, you know, when you see, And I'll give an example of what I do. When you see the structure breaking down, you're doubling down on the structure, whether it's their behavior, whether it's their curiosity, whether it's their friendships, whether it's their... uh, I I mean, you're, you're cultivating a soul. You're cultivating a soul like it's a plant, but a thousand times more valuable. And it needs care and attention and love. And it is the greatest achievement you'll end up with when you have 24 grandchildren and you look around and you're like... I don't really care about money. I've already traveled everywhere. I've already eaten every great thing. I've already driven every awesome car. I've, every, I've already lived on every beach. I just love those 24 grandchildren that still call me grandpa. And they still look to me for advice. And there is that bond. That's what you want. So when my child, when my child is watching something and something comes up bad, I say this, you know, and it's prefaced with this understanding, which I say often to my kids. My son is Taj. My other son is Rockwell. My, my daughter's Goldie. And my, my latest son is Jet Brigham Young. That's his name. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and I tell them all, I say, you guys have to do what I say unless I tell you something that's wrong. And if I tell you something that's wrong, you should rebel against me like that. If I tell you something that is wrong, you should rebel against me. They need to learn rebellion. I know this is weird, but I've had to teach them to it because right now they have church teachers, right now they have school teachers, and right now they have movie teachers, and right now they have librarians, and they're all telling them things that are wrong. They're telling them things they've learned in movies. They have movies. They're all telling them things that are wrong, and then they have their dad telling them things that I believe are right. So I'm trying to put it on them. I'm trying to say, look, you've got to see, is this right or is this wrong? And I get what's wrong and right from the scriptures. I get what's wrong and right from history and what has worked and what hasn't. So now let's go through the scene we just saw. You see what they're trying to do, Tosh? Every time in the Mario movie, Mario's an idiot. You see how he can't do anything and Peach can do everything? Do you think that's true? Do you think mom can do everything? Well, she kind of can. But do you think dad can't do anything? Is dad an idiot? Is his dad an idiot? And he answers the questions. He knows. He knows. I said, well, why do, you think, why do you think every time they're trying to show boys as idiots? I don't know. Well, you're not an idiot. You're amazing. You're meant to lead one day. You're meant to provide. You're meant to protect. You're meant to be there for Peach. Whenever she needs something, you're meant to be there for her, to protect her from the bullies, protect her from meanness, to provide for her so that she can do the most important thing that only Peach could do, bring life. I can't do that. I can't bring life. So I've got to provide. I've got to build the one thing that peach needs more than anything for me. Security. I have to provide that security. All right. And that's how I talk to him. And that's how I talk to Goldie, my daughter, my daughter, it's going to be different because she's a girl. So I say, Oh, wow, Goldie. Wow. All these girls, that's just so important on how they look. All the guys are just looking at how they look, but that's amazing just Real, you-
0: Andrew like that's honestly this is incredible stuff like I, I I don't I don't think I'm I'm certainly not just trying to like I, I, like fawn over an amazing guest like I'm saying seriously as somebody as a perfect prospective parent, I'm hearing this and I'm like, these are an amazing lessons where it's like you tell your kids to point it out to me when I'm wrong. Because a lot of parents may be prideful about oh, that. Yeah. And they may be like, You need to you need to learn when to keep leaders or people that you view above you to keep them in check because you know right from wrong. And then more specifically, as you're viewing something, then you say, What are we what are we assessing from this? Like, why are they saying that? Why are we doing this? Why do we believe this well, when they're it, trying to teach us that?
2: We rarely... give you the opportunity too to be able to say if they bring something from outside, you can provide the context. You can provide that, the texture that, to it. I and can provide. every day they you do. You know, if they tell me I'm wrong, and it's something that I'm very right on. Um, and my parents, my children will tell you that, Daddy is never wrong on anything. <laughs> mean, and I'm not that they don't believe that. They think I'm wrong about everything, but I am adamant about too many things in my life. Even my wife, um, like, uh, Steve can't ever be wrong. Um, and that to my detriment, actually, like I should be wrong on a lot more things, and I need to be, and I am wrong on a lot of things, but. But it provides us that texture and that context where we can say, okay, let, let's have a conversation about the context of it within the confines of principles, of doctrines, of what's going on here. And this isn't to say like, hey, um, that that female empowerment is a bad thing, that we, yeah. we should, but it's the way it's being engineered to yes. to create a message of female empowerment, we have to create a stupid man, right? That. we can't have in, in the Barbie movie we can't just have a we can't have a Ken figure that is just a solid masculine man that that supports and the woman is intelligent, empowered, able, nurturing, supportive
1: um or the non-religious gay man. You you can pick your you can pick your hero.
2: Yeah. A good
1: thing, Steve, where do you have these conversations? So this is this is something I think parents need to know. You do not have these conversations in front of the TV while the video game is playing. You have it on a walk in the woods. Okay, You have it on the beach. You have it while you're surfing. You have it while you're in the park. You have it while you're chucking a football. You have it while you're playing tag or while he just ordered, which is yesterday, while he just ordered some sort of gun that shoots little water pellets and you're the animal. And you get to dress up like an animal and guess to shoot you. It's the weirdest idea he's ever had. <laughs> but I went with it. But that's when you're having these conversations. That's when you're teaching. Time equals love. Time equals love. This can only be successful in a parental void. In a parental void. So just to things.
0: clarify, you don't ever like stop the film, stop the TV show, stop the video game and be like, what very did we just rarely, witness?
1: Very rarely. Very rarely. And I can give you two examples and they're heartbreaking. And this is why I'm talking. Willow. Willow is my top ten movies of all time. They're making a, a, a
0: sequel, by the way. Did you know that?
1: They've, they've already, already made, made it. Oh, they've already they've made it? Already made oh, this is what they're I'm going to talk taking about. taking it off already, this, actually. Wow. This is, no one is talking about this. I turned it off after two and a half minutes, and my whole family was there. The new because one? Because they had two. Yes. Oh, wow. Because they had two girls on top of each other, humping each other. I'm not even exaggerating. after one minute in Disney Plus, this is why Disney's going out of business. Oh my They have goodness. completely lost their minds. They have come, and the leadership is to blame. And I'm not even thinking it's Bob. I think it's actually a whole level, and he's already started firing people, a whole level of people. he needs to get back to saying his original question, "What is a princess?" That's the thing he says he can answer. And he has forgotten it because it's not two girls on top of each other, humping each other after a minute. I wish I was lying. I wish I was making this up or exaggerating. I, that's, this is one of the few times where I had to say, Hey kids, bro, I'm sorry. This is beyond insane, beyond insane. Uh, This is not where children come from. This is not what mothers do. Mothers are not naturally hypersexual. So they're lying. OK, and I also help with the National Center on Sexual Exploitation on their main video and main, ma- uh, main uh, messaging person. So I'm way deep into the sexual universe where like porn and revisitors and all of these porn companies and Fabian uh, out of out of Germany and what he's doing with all of the porn hub and all of that. They are hyper sexualizing children, uh, in this case, women. But anyways, that's one of the few times I've had to stop it. I've had to turn it off. Almost everything else. I am able to use for a teaching opportunity, and they're going to get it no matter what. So they'll come home and they'll say, "Dad, the has have Fortnite. Let's do this, Dad. It's free." i will be like, "Well, Taj, you know I work with the guys that make Fortnite, right?" And so I tell them because I'm one of the uh, Epic fellows, and so I say, "Taj, you know this is why I left Xbox, right? I didn't want to just make more shoot 'em ups like they had me on God of War, Gears of War, Halo, um, Black Ops." I was like, bro, when I was young, my buddies went to Afghanistan and some of them died. And I show them pictures of them. And they never say again, let's get a headshot. They never say again, headshot, headshot. Oh, did you see that headshot? Because that's what his friends are saying. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, I've got to give them that perspective. So, so back to the thing, you're not telling them this stuff while you're in front of a video game. You're telling it to them when you take them to Puerto Rico and you show them what poverty looks like, or Egypt, or you take them to Europe, and you show them Rome, and you're showing them, this is what a civilization looks like that gave up morals and became selfish. You're showing them this on a simple walk on a beach, or a simple walk around your house. I was going to say, so for those that don't have the
0: financial means to go around the world, like you would maybe just do it like through a baseball game or something. But I think
2: the philosophy that, I think the philosophy that Andrew's getting at here is important. Like... uh, yeah, there are moments in the media where you need to be like, "Hey, stop!" And Ab- I need to point out what's going on. Absorption takes place shangai.
0: in specific moments. It sounds like,
2: yeah, mm-hmm. but also I can associate those. So in certain moments, I do need to know. Like when my child was flipping through Netflix, um, through the uh, through the icons, and they were trying to figure out what show they wanted to watch, and they they saw this really cool show that is TVG or TVY7 called Centaur World, for example. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Andrew. But there's a show called Centaur World. And the, this was the icon. I know people won't be able to see it, um, but I'm going to hold it up. I, without pulling it up, I'll see if you can see us. But this was the icon that was on Netflix to ch- ask my child, who at the time was probably like uh, seven, maybe eight, if he wanted to watch the show.
1: Okay, so that's... A door in the butt? Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is yeah. happening. Yeah, this is the right. rainbow in the bucket. Yeah, so the rainbows is... in the buckets uh so, so there
2: we had to have a conversation in that moment of yeah, I remember when you showed. you know it like yeah. you can think about what you like when you have a conversation, you know we're not gonna I'll talk to you about it and but we're not gonna watch that because that's not there there's something in that that's not gonna be appropriate right but and there are times in the moment where there you've gotta take action, no, you don't you absolutely don't like if there's a a heavy sex scene that shows up or nudity that shows up and that's against your family values. Then you don't keep watching that show and just not say anything and say, "Hey, I'm going to wait until we go on a walk." I don't think that's what Andrew's saying. Um, No, it's before. We've already done it before. It's before, right? And we have, but we have those conversations in a stable, supportive place where we're we're illustrating that this is the way communication and family works. This is the way support and family works. This is the way open communication in a in um, in a family environment works. And we're going to have these kind of conversations. So when that does come up, we know that we're turning it off or we know that it's happening. Or in some of those situations, we can. We can talk more about it and be like, you know what, we're going to shut this off. But then later we'll talk about it while we're playing catch or um, why we're going on a bike ride or whatever. I can
1: guarantee parents will want to know what to do when they rebel and say no or get sad or get mad or throw a fit because everyone else's friend does it. I, I yeah. can imagine a lot of parents would want to know Okay, look, this is all fine, but my son will not stop playing Fortnite. What am I supposed to do? And I have a method that will work. And if it doesn't work, reach out to me, andrewredforyoung at gmail.com, and I'll come up with another one. But the way that has worked is you start playing it with him. I know this seems backwards. If it's absolutely, you don't do porn or you don't do extremely vulgar stuff, yet you have to just shut it off. I'm talking about gray area where there's some actual legitimate logic that they can use to say, hey, my friends are doing it and their parents are good and they let, they let them do it. Or, hey, I, I'm learning how to like read or interact online. It's a bunch of garbage, but there might be some logic. So gray area, if it's super bad, you, just, you have to turn it off. And what we do is we get a safe. We, we have two safes and I throw the switch in there. I throw the movies there or I literally throw the Amazon stick in there. I say, no more. Guys, this is it. No, no more. Like, and I start taking away stuff. I say, okay, you want, you want to do this. And I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but I have to be bold in this world where they're getting hit from so many other bold uh, sources of information. I have to equalize the boldness they're getting from everywhere else. Otherwise, I get hit. They're not getting hit. I get hit out of the way. And so if what we did with Fortnite, because this is a very gray area, okay, is I started playing it with them because the relationship is more important than the game itself. And as long as I'm still with him, I can override any message. That's basically the, the moral of this whole uh, uh, podcast. You can override any messaging as a parent. And if we can train parents or if parent, you don't even need me. You can go to a library and you can train yourself. You know what is right. You know what is wrong. You know, you have the spirit. You have the light of Christ. You know what you don't even need me to train. You can be trained. You could get quiet, and you know what is right and you know what is wrong. And you can be the parent. You could override any messaging. So it only happens when you are vacant or in a void. So if you're there, so this is what I do. I play it with him, and I start playing, and I get all. And, and, and it's a little different because I'm a video game maker, so I know how how they're made. But but set that aside and just as a parent, and I said, well, geez, why are why are headshots worth so much, Taj? Like why are they worth so much? Like why is it such an insane? Because it's cool, you know. Why why is it cool? Like because we get more points, and we're like number one. Like we we only we want to kill everyone until we're the last one standing. I'll be like, whoa, bro. Is that is that like is that good? Like what, I don't know. What do you think about that? Is that like Jesus stuff? Is that like no? I, but like. Is that what we want to do? Do we want to just go be shooting people in the head? like? And you start to feel. And they start to feel. And you can bring up stories. Like. Of. Joseph Smith. And what it was like for him to get shot multiple times. Or you can bring Garden up feather. stories of. Yeah. A neighbor. A neighbor. Like that maybe was injured in war or you could, because you don't see military guys coming home and being like, kids, have at it on black ops. That's what life was like. No, they are numb. They are numb. They, they if they ever saw what it was really like to shoot someone in the head, they would never, ever play it. So you have to give them a little, I, I, I give them a little piece of that. And they begin to feel, do you know that when we're making video games at Xbox, we have a variable called time of death. Steve might find this interesting where we have to make the time a character dies short enough so that a child or a, or a player cannot feel remorse. It cannot okay. go too long. It cannot go too long or a child or a player will begin to feel remorse and they will stop playing. Remorse will kick in, guilt will kick in, and that time has been whittled down to a perfect amount of time depending on the game of when remorse kicks in. It's one of the variables you choose in time of death. You have to let people feel remorse about what they're doing. And then uh, what is happening? What is the result of all this? School shootings, we have a very violent, polarizing culture. It's, it's not ending well, it's not working out. We're not, we're not helping any of these situations. We're making it
2: worse. Well, for those people that are listening to Andrew that are like, "Ah, yeah, there's just, but but drawing that causal link. Like, I don't have the causal link that connects those things. I do have a personal experience, though, um, that ties us together in a different way. Uh, But think about this in the first-person shooter. um, There is, there are video gaming theories that we research in media that look at the way people are transported into media. The way they adopt an avatar in an immersive reality is an extension of their own identity, and they believe that that is them. It's not. It's not like, hey, that's my character. For a lot of people that play these games and play them, that's them. Those were all the um, the football
0: like, players I created on NCAA football. That was that was <laughs> me. Yeah, right. Like they well, even had right? my name. I mean, come on.
2: Yeah. So so during the pandemic, uh, when we went into the pandemic, and um, we don't have time to unpack all of this, but when we went into the pandemic, we didn't know the effect that COVID had on little children. We didn't know how susceptible they were, that we didn't know how transmissible it was. What we did know is we just removed them from school, which was the primary place that they get social learning and learn from Mm -hmm. other kids, the norms that should go on society to help them learn and grow. What Mm -hmm. we did was took them away being like, okay, we're going to isolate them in their house. And then when they come out of their house, we want them to wear masks my kids mm. and i was like oh how am i gonna have my kid in the time i mean just just think about it for a moment in the time i was like my child's not exposed to other children and their mask wearing behavior they're just like, and and we don't wear them in the house around our house around each other uh maybe i was wrong maybe i was wrong for that but we didn't do it in our house uh, you were right saw, you're though, safe on
0: this podcast yeah, i'll thought, tell you that much you don't right. sound wrong to me
2: <laughs> what i saw, What I saw in the educational environment, though, because I needed some educational substitutes because I'm not an elementary school teacher. I'm a college professor. Very different kind of learning um, and teaching. Um, And my wife um, isn't an educator either. And so we needed something to give our children some education. And we actually turned and we tried doing like school lessons, but they felt so isolated and they felt so numb and they felt not connected to other kids. And so we started we got them a membership to a program called Adventure Academy. And Adventure Academy is an um, educational learning virtual environment where they go to a campus, they create an avatar, they run around this campus, play tag with other kids. Uh, and there are other kids running around, um, but we, they could also like, we would be on the phone with their cousins and say, oh, we're on at the same time. And they'd follow around in a group like they were going to school together. And You could go to the room for science and fly around the solar system and read and read facts about Jupiter. Or you could learn about the microbiology in the cell and you learn these lessons. And when you learn the lessons, you got stuff that you could use in a marketplace. Uh, And that's where it became fascinating to me. But during the COVID lockdown, we noticed that within Adventure Academy, you could start buying masks in the shops. So you could buy masks, and you could equip them, and children would wear masks in these virtual oh. worlds.
1: Hold on a second, just follow the story, okay? No, I I, could... I'm, I'm, I know the story, you, dude. I'm, I'm <laughs> so ready to. I'm masks. ready to end
0: this story right now, dude. That's how this is. A, this is the button you've hit. <laughs> no, no I, so
1: I, I think COVID was the single largest social engineering campaign ever.
0: So I agree.
2: So, ahead. well, and here's the thing: so they started wearing the mask, uh, or the kids around. They started playing kids mask with kid uh, playing with kids who were wearing the masks and these kids mind you hadn't been out in society we were still in quarantine so these kids had never been in a society but the social learning from other children was still taking place just like it would have in a classroom so when we went back into the world again not having the full science um i was worried i was like are my children going to adopt masking are they going to revolt kind of like playing a video game or are they going to be like i'm not doing that this is uncomfortable i can't breathe in this whatever it was and at the time, I was like, you know, I don't know if it's safe for you or not. I know, but I know that this is what we're being advised to do, right? When it came time to go back in the world and wear masks, and I, I wasn't fully aware at the time. Having researched and talked to my kids and went back and played the game, I became more aware of what, of what was going on. I was watching what was going on. I saw the masking, but it fascinated me that my kids' response when it was time to put on a mask said, oh, we've been wearing masks all summer. Their avatars within adventure Academy. They had gone and bought masks and because other kids oh, were wearing them and because they were following them, they were wearing masks. My kids are, my kids adopted masking very easily because they were like, Oh, I've been wearing masks all summer. It wasn't that my avatar has been wearing masks. It's not that everyone else in adventure Academy is wearing masks. It's like, Oh, I get the process of wearing a mask and what that's supposed to do and how that's supposed to help us. Sheesh. Um, We can have a whole nother podcast on this, but that's to go back to the social engineering and social, um, and social learning that, that even in these immersive environments, when it comes to violence, when it comes to stuff like that, for the parents that are like, no, a kid who does all these shooting mass shooting or does all these shooting games, it's not going to translate to the real world. Got you. Children, children, connect with that identity that happens online. I'm not going to say everyone does, but,
1: it's but if it's certainly no not helping online, anything. It's not helping yes. anything. Should we, yes, um, that's where we can all agree on.
0: Should we change gears here a little bit and go through some of your examples? Do we still have time for that?
1: Yeah. How much, I would love, how much to. more think, time do we have I before Steve? Th- uh, I've got, I mean, I've got another half hour, 45 minutes if we need to. Okay. So Great. I think, I, I think online. if you can go through examples for parents, uh, if you can watch a couple examples and we can just dis- explain what's going on, you will have the tools you need to be able to identify this stuff, explain it to your children, your family and friends, and most importantly, know how to deal with it, not be manipulated by it. And once you see it, and once you are exposed to it here, you will see that the, uh, the villains or the targets Are the exact same across journalism movies uh literature comic books um even business and so this is the first one we're going to show you this is a movie made for boys made for boys the lego movie and i'm purposely showing you examples across many studios so you don't think this is just a singular thing happening at dreamworks happening across the board i believe uh so this is the lego movie so go ahead and what you can also before you press play what you're going to see is one of the targets Men and boys. Okay, this is on the this is one of the key targets that you're going to see uh to demasculinize and de-leadership men and boys. Go ahead.
2: Wait, 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 wait a minute. When everyone became the special, didn't we all
1: become leaders? No offense. I sense no leadership qualities from you. My
2: readout confirms you to be soft, fragile, and a less than worthy opponent. Hey, you watch what you say about Emmett. He saved the universe a few years back. This guy was a fierce warrior? Okay, well, technically, I did the warrior stuff, but... So, you fought, and Build and Kitbutt, and then the hapless male was the leader. Um, well, you know, he was a symbol for... that we all
1: have ideas, and, um... But you did all the work. Well, hey, Emmett is the sweetest, most optimistic guy you could ever meet. And I know those qualities are not useful anymore and that Emmett isn't changing with the times and lacks a killer instinct and in general just isn't tough enough. Not tough enough? Yeah, but this guy is the special. Well, at
2: least he was. Silent.
1: (sighs) Okay, okay. The reason I use this is because it's one of the most obvious. You have a male who is the hero exemplifying every attribute of weakness okay the perfect male to be run over by any lie any organization that wants him out of the way anything that he stands in the way of this is what they're making our boys uh risen up to be the helpless but optimistic male so this is one of the targets males and boys and it is causing effect on their confidence it's causing an effect on their ability to lead. It's causing an effect on their uh, ability to provide and to be a providing, protecting, security bringing leadership male that they are trying to destroy that. So that Which was one. This is Let- fascinating.
2: This is fascinating because even um, so, we have a motto in our home. Uh, and my children know it; they'll tell it to you. I have a fourteen-year-old who just survived middle school. Bless, bless her, like for surviving, for for making Seriously. it through high, to high, high school. And I have a, a son who's now um, entering the, the end of elementary school; he's fifth grade. But we have a motto in our ha- in our home. As I pro- tried to prepare them to go into school, and especially through the middle school years, our motto was: "You can't get bigger by making someone smaller." Beautiful. You can't get any bigger. It doesn't change your size. It only diminishes their size, right? And the reason I want to bring this up with this is is female empowerment doesn't have to come at the expense of emasculation. You guys
0: touched on that earlier in this episode.
2: It's
1: perfect, perfect. The
2: only way you get bigger, the only way I raise my status, the only way I become more important is to make other people bigger as well. I get more reputation. I get more popularity. You might think that you have some notoriety by shoving someone else down and demeaning them and emasculating them because you're creating a differential gap between you and them. But that that's our motto in our home. You don't I become love bigger, by someone else smaller.
1: Can I read something to you guys Absolutely. about men and women? People have a hard time explaining men and women, especially to children. Here's one that I love. Men and women not in worth but in design, are not equal. They're complementary. When you take a man and a woman and you put the two together, they can become something greater than either could be alone. They become a family through marriage. A man is designed to lead, provide, protect, and fill the need that a woman has, security. In turn, the woman does what no man can or the world desperately needs for her to do give life when the woman and a man fulfill the measure of their creation their design the beautiful result is a home a world enshrined with secure life not that beautiful that it's beautiful
2: i, I think and i think it's really important andrew that you didn't that that in there it doesn't say it says the woman's responsibility is to give life not give birth right sometimes there and there may uh, be some people bring, listening bring that are like, the woman's responsibility is bring, to, just to have yeah. a baby right no right giving life is so much more encompassing so much 100%. deeper so much more involving than giving birth i agree I, it
1: it's, needs it's, to be recognized supported and validated and the interesting thing is when you add god into the mix all of that secure life marriage family and that complementary becomes eternal. It's this beautiful relationship that's being, that is the fabric of our country, our church. This is what's being broken down. And it's actually why we're on this podcast. This is what they were attacking at DreamWorks. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, let's watch this one. This one is attacking something that many of you might not know, tradition. This was one of our key targets was tradition. This includes holidays and mostly the elderly. Check out how they do it here.
2: Let the holidays begin! Okay, now! Surprise! Uh Uh-oh. Wait, wait, wait! Hold on, hold on! Going so soon? The Yule bell rang. I must get home for my family's holiday tradition. Rolling the lefse.
0: Ours um, is putting out porridge for the tomtap. Well,
2: we're <laughs> making traditional boards doublebuckles. And I'm going to fillet the crumbs of the conca.
1: That's a thing, right?
2: Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Olsen, you're welcome to join us
0: in the castle if you'd like.
1: Thank you, your majesty. But Olga and I should be getting home to knit
2: socks for our grandchildren.
1: It's our tradition.
2: (laughs) Yes, and we wouldn't want to intrude on your family traditions.
0: Oh, so the surprise is everyone left.
1: Boom. So what you just saw here is everyone who was stiff, everyone who was old and looked religious and had a tradition was mean, was ininclusive, was leaving, was not fun. And their tradition, a lesbian couple and a gay snowman in their castle, because that's who they are, was destroyed because they were leaving. They were leaving, they were breaking the tradition. The child takes away one thing from this. Tradition and elderly are mean. This is not something I wanna embrace. This is not something I wanna be a part of. They don't want me to be a part of it. It is, it is associated with the pain of separation. And this has become a new dynamic. It, it's, what's funny is we would make these in the animations, but now I watch them play out in real life where there's actually people online explaining to people how to cut off communication. It's like a thing, I forget, there's a term for it. This is how you cut communication with your family. Because they're so bigoted and they're so into their tradition and their religion and their way of life and their patriarchy, which is another target we have. And they say, this is how you cut off communication and how you'll be better off for cutting off communication. And the child has been brought up to now associate elderly people like grandparents, uh, people of tradition who are going to go home and have their family tradition with mean and sensitive people that will leave you when you want them to spend time with you then I noticed, which is the opposite of the truth
0: i noticed how aesthetically unpleasing all the old people were Each- in that too. it's kind of yep. it was like two on the nose if i'm being frank like for those that are just listening like you see like really overweight older couples you saw the last yep. couple that older couple were like two feet tall they were smaller yep, than the snowman that was that perfect. was part of that scene anyway
2: sorry so, so, and I don't do this to challenge you, but I, Andrew, I want you to unpack this a little bit because, because naturally me viewing it the first time you said a couple of things that I think nat- natural people that are encountering this the first time could be like, Andrew, you, you went over the edge there. Um, oh, every, and I'm, so I'm just, not saying it to challenge you, but if I no, can ask no, you a couple questions on that. it, you said, every- so you said the, the couples and the people were mean. And that doesn't come across in it.
1: So what explain to us what you mean? Well, you when you contextualize it, I think mean- I know what
0: he's talking about, but I'll let Andrew do that.
1: Yeah. So you're so right, Steve. And I get this all the time. In fact, after the first podcast, people were emailing me saying, Are you exaggerating? Like, are you sure about this? And they said, Are you not taking this too far? And I empathized with them because I was in the same boat and would say, Yes, had I not been privy to the back conversations and meetings where we designed it it is not social engineering like we're putting in an agenda it is architecting the minds of people we're doing it on purpose harper saw some of them the size the look the tone how and and then that versus how long do the girls hug how close are they together these are much more subtle steve when you're when 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 you say mean it doesn't mean you have to feel someone yelling, even though that's a very aggressive one. And when this was made, they are still doing it very close to the line. One thing that came out in the meetings when I was leaving DreamWorks is they brought me into a room and they said, Andrew, I want you to show us every single place where you think a religious audience would be offended by watching Mr. Peabody and Sherman. And, the, and I said, I said guys, you got, you got to just Google what we're doing. Just Google these words we're putting in their mouths. The meeting lasted about five, ten minutes. And their response to me was, what he's telling me is we're not being deceptive enough. We're, being, it's, we're, we're going overboard. Okay. this. It, when, it, I worked there, when I worked there, Steve, even I didn't perceive it until we went yeah. so far where they brought us in a room and they explained that who we were attacking were the religious zealots who voted for Proposition 8. And then I was like, oh my gosh. And I went through the movie and I was like, oh my gosh. This whole thing's a propaganda piece. But while I was working on it, I couldn't perceive it. So now to address and unpack your original question, the way they are being mean is they are doing the ultimate way you can be mean to someone. You're leaving them. You are leaving them alone. You are separating from them. You are prioritizing your own tradition over not the indulging
0: to in something that's important to them. That's actually I got that takeaway from that look, little clip.
2: So if you look through this, at first as we're watching these families, they're being dismissive. But it's it's hey we have to go home to our own traditions. They never say hey do you want to come join us? Even out of offhand like do you exactly. want to come join? Us? Not to that last really couple. Happen. Yeah, and the last couple at the end. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But the last couple at the <laughs> end says says, um, we're sure you have traditions that you're really eager about or whatever to get back to your own. So now it comes together and we're like, that's what all the other people are doing. Well, not really. That's not what the other people are doing. The last old couple was saying they had, they at least had some explanation for why we're not going to invite you over, but everyone else was leaving them (laughs) where I'm, where I said, I want to come back to this is, oh gosh, I hope I don't unpack too much here. Um, I live in Alabama.
1: You can unpack, but before you do, uh, yeah. The reason I show the reason I show this is not just to show one example. It is across the board. Okay. This could be ten other videos. I want people the goal of showing this is not even to criticize Frozen. I need people to start seeing across in their journalism, across their culture, beyond just movies, that their traditions are being deconstructed and this is just one example and we're going to get to a clip that shows you where they want to take this steve just so you know the method is not bucket in the face of cold water the method is a little bit by a little bit by a little bit and i also like this. you yes you do not stop until you get pushback So Disney is beginning for the first time to get pushback. They've gone too far, but this was a test. This is a test how they're doing it, okay? They cannot come out and say they're a lesbian couple. That's too far. They have to do it by how long they hug, how long they spend time together, and that every other male is an idiot, going back to our first example. In this case, they need to break apart tradition, Thankfully, we have the next one that will show it even further because this isn't a one time thing, Steve. There are examples across movies and across the story of how we break apart tradition, okay? Because when you break apart tradition, you leave a culture, you leave a people uh, supportless. They have nothing to kind of grab onto, nothing to kind of anchor onto. And so this makes a people weak. It makes the people controllable. This is the why. Here, watch this one before you start this one. This is the worst one I have ever seen. And this is even the cut version. There was supposed to be a resurrection scene in this where Olaf resurrects. I I kid you not. You can't even make this up. He resurrects from rainwater or from the snow water. This is a continual attack on tradition, or this is a, I wouldn't even say attack, a architecting of children to deconstruct Christ and Christmas and the purpose of it to take away and by the way this is happening in schools as well Uh, I get all of this stuff coming home with my kids and I realize oh my gosh they're getting hit from three or four different angles watch this and watch what they do to Christ and watch what they do to Christmas and this is the dumbed down version by the way because the final version didn't make it and this was cut because the audience could not handle it and this was the beginning of Disney's downfall by the way so keep going
0: Cause when we're together, that's my favorite
1: place to be,
2: Cause when we're together, it's a holiday every night, and when we're Bells I don't them know, know. know when
0: it's here.
2: Cause when we're together, I, I could stay, stay forever. <laughs> and when, when we're, we're together, together, it's my favorite time. Oh
1: I think Arendelle has a new. Tra- <laughs> oh gosh, I can't even. I can't even watch it without like mind blown that it made it that far. Bear in mind, the actual cut is supposed to have Olaf resurrecting into the star from the snowflakes, but they thought it was so far that they would piss off so many people that it wouldn't hold. They didn't know this was too far. So you notice, we don't need the bells. We don't need this. These are. Bear in mind, these are just like words and actions. Replace uh, the star. Replace Christmas. We, we have a new tradition. We don't need Christ because it's now a gay snowman. All of this is all words and stories, but it's embedding as an emotion with music. They, they are getting a sugar cookie to mask the poison within the sugar cookie the music the animation the beauty of the art is being hijacked by the social engineering of take out tradition take out christ they are two of the greatest targets this is one of the worst ones i've ever seen this is one that disney had a repulsive reaction to and they had to take it out uh but yeah it's horrifying
2: I think it's really important that you, that our listeners understand that, like, even as I see some of these, I'm like, Andrew, like, are we really? But the important aspect here is that Andrew's worked in these places and had these conversations. And the other important thing is when it is happening, as it's happening and a lot of these parents aren't watching some of this media with their children. Their children are consuming this with the ch- with the media as the communicator, as the educator. Um, and so raising that kind of awareness, at least conversations about how do you feel about this or this is my perspective on it, but also Andrew's perspective on this is what they're saying they're doing. You're just a sheep, their, Steve. You're just a freaking sheep. dude. <laughs> yeah, right, right.
1: <laughs> no, no. Actually, Steve, Steve, I actually love what you're saying because this is how everyone meets me. When I first told my family I was leaving DreamWorks, they were horrified. My parents, my brothers, you're my sister, my in-laws, they're like, what are you doing? Do you know how hard it was to get there? You're, you're in the NBA for artists. Like, just put your head down and work. Like, do you know how you're treated when you bring folks to DreamWorks to eat lunch and you've got, like, movie people all around and you're taking them around the studio and Obama came the day before and Bibi Netanyahu and Spielberg is around. Do you know, like, how you're treated? They say, like, don't do this. Don't give up that, that, that world that you're in. I wasn't fired. I left pre-contract. I left pre-contract. No one does this. No one leaves this. And my family was, said the same thing you're saying. Aren't you... Isn't this a little over the top like this they're, it's not that bad right it's not that bad they would say i think you're reading into it too much two things they told me what we were doing and i was doing it so i'm not reading into anything you're a party to it. it yeah so so that's the that's the other thing and we are now 10 years into this and people are no longer saying andrew are you reading into this too far they're saying, oh my gosh, it's everywhere now. That it's so blatant and so obvious that I don't have to be a crazy person anymore. It's actually liberating for me because when I would talk to people like this before, I remember on the stairs, right by where I'm at, my brother came into town and I said, Adam, you need to be really careful about ESPN. I said, you need to be really careful. I can see what they're doing and they're engineering and they're doing a really bad job, and it's really awful. And let me show you why. And they're using LeBron as a poster child. And I showed him a couple other things, and he lost it on me. We literally were yelling at each other, my brother and I. And he was so mad that I could even uh, approach something that he loved and was a part of his life so much, ESPN. And I frankly love it as well. Yeah, same. I get now, now one of my greatest friends is a whistleblower from ESPN and he's told us everything he's gone online and he told everything that they're doing about the race and about the women sage and about
0: steel everything. just recently like had some sort of fallout with them and left and has said all those same
1: things and who's the one losing not my brother not me well we're losing because it's a beautiful thing they've created right. for sports and we love sports espn is crumbling Well, and disney's thinking right they have to sell them
0: yeah exactly
1: like so for any parent listening, for anyone saying, is this overboard? Is this like reading into things? No, 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 no. This is how you architect a child. You don't throw water in front because if you throw water in front of their face, their parent is going to get some of it and their parent's going to say, whoa, wait a minute, what? That's not what I want to do for my child. I want them to have a respect for Christ and for Christmas I want them to like our tradition. I don't want them to cut off our family. I don't want them to go to college and come back another human. I don't want them to spend all day on a video game and come back another human. They don't realize that's happening, and it can only happen under what you said from the beginning in a void of the parental knowledge. So that's why I came at DreamWorks and said, hey, DreamWorks, you've got to tell people what you're doing. So anyways, let's go on to the next one. You got like a quick stop
2: before before we get too far away. There, I want to hang on to this frozen one because there's a topic I want to bring up. Harper, I don't know if you want to go this way, but if you do, if you don't mind, I want to go this way for a second. When it came to people leaving for their traditions in that previous clip, okay, um, and not inviting Anna, Elsa, and Olaf to join them, um. Uh, I don't know how to open this. Harper knows where I'm going with this. No, I'm actually out. not I totally sure. sure.
0: I don't know where you're going with this. Okay.
2: okay. So I don't live in Utah, Idaho, Arizona culture. Like I told you, I'm a professor at the University of Alabama. Um, I love our culture here. I love our LDS. I love the LDS culture. I love the integration we have with the Baptist culture. I love um, the, the, it's a it's a constant negotiation where we're having to develop this relationship of of what each other believe and how much, um, we've been indoctrinated to not believe in other people's things and, and raising our kids in that kind of environment. Um, when I saw my immediate reaction actually, and I was raised in Colorado, so I wasn't raised in a heavy culture like that where generationally people were raised generationally in the church with these family traditions. Um, and for me, you're,
1: you're you're reading it. Correct. You're spot on. The goal, so of when the, movie, I, the goal of the so movie when I create. Saw, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Keep so, on,
2: I'll tell you. So, when I saw this, though, for me as an individual, and I get that the movie's doing this and leveraging this, but it brought back a really real memory for a few years when I lived in Utah. And your, your viewers may hate me and turn me off after this. My wife and I were stunned by how little. We were not invited into other people's traditions because they had generational family traditions. We were never invited over to a Sunday dinner unless it was somebody who was also a transplant or a temporary resident of that place. We were never, even though we were alone there, we were never invited to a Thanksgiving tradition, a Thanksgiving dinner to join someone else's family because these were generationally ingrained Tradition. Right. Well, I would anywhere. Real quick,
0: outside of the playing devil's advocate for that mentality, and this is not just because I'm a sycophant right. for Utah. In fact, I wouldn't say I am a sycophant for you I do love living here, quite frankly, and there's a lot of good things about it. <clears> However, <throat> I would think that it, the inclination to not do that now that doesn't make it right, but I think it would mainly stem from the fact that since they have their own traditions, they assume everybody else does. It's not that they don't; they're not welcome. And there. that's what they say. At they just the
2: end end th- well, that's yeah. what they say at the end of this video. That's what the old couple says. We assume you have your own traditions, right? Like And then the parallel I want to bring, though, is that there's also an awakening in all of this within our cultures, too, to recognize that when it's implicit, we need to be aware of it, too, because they're leveraging some of those things that we do and they're speaking to those and using those. But in that situation that hit home for me, I was like. I was like, you know what? We do have a responsibility to look within our own. But culture to Andrew's and say, point, like, though, hey, including everyone. But
0: to Andrew's point, though, the the overall premise was we want to invite them into our tradition, and they were saying, well, no, we're good, we have our own, and everybody what that was saying that was painted at some sort of bad person or some mm-hmm. person that didn't like the new tradition or whatever that was, right? And I, that yeah. that actually that clip resonated with me perfectly in terms of what Andrew was saying, even without really knowing the context, I totally
1: got that one. Uh, Steve, thank you, Harper. Steve, you're you're reading into it. Correct. The goal of the movie maker is simply to break down family tradition. That's what it is. The goal the, that that's what the goal is. The child comes away feeling that people, kind of like you feel, that people that have those generational traditions are excluded not for me. They, are not well, they, exclu- me. they excluded okay. us, right? And they that, just feel like we we're ex- outside. Exactly. Of they excluded me. So, do am I going to like them? No, you're not going to like them. And who's the hero? Who you've loved that always does everything right, that always does everything good, that always says solves the problems, that always says the funny things? It's the two girls in the snow in the snowman? Yeah. So, who's the child going to want to go with? Yeah. And so hey, some child, of that, is, the child's the child's going to want to yeah. go with them. Okay. Yeah. Now, but, but here's the real deal. Here's let's break it all down. Whether you feel hurt or whether anyone feels hurt for not getting. Uh, invited into a tradition here's the real deal if you don't have those generational traditions whether you are invited or not your culture breaks down and they know that and they want to get rid of the cultural traditions that's whether you were invited or not that cultural tradition still holds that culture together okay and what you're going to walk away with what you're going to walk away with is you're going to walk that, away with culture with no cultural traditions. And that's, and that's why, why I
2: I say the only side of the two-sided coin here is that it's important for us to hold on to those and have conversations about those and raise our children to respect those, but also raise our children and our families to look at who doesn't have those. 100%. That that's, the, that's the gospel, 100%. right? That's, that's 100% the gospel. That's the teachings of the principles oh, yeah. of the gospel. How do I... Bring people and share the gospel, share our tradition, share our knowledge with other people. We, some of us in our society, and I I say this because like you lived at DreamWorks, I've lived in that society. And I wasn't raised and I don't live in that society. Some of us need to look long internally at saying, can I do that better? So that when this social engineering comes out, that people don't say, hey, I'm going to identify with these other, in this other direction and be social engineered to associate and support that. I feel like that I'm included in that.
1: You are 100% right. That is how we should be. You're, yeah. you're 100%. And when we make a movie together, Steve, we're going to put those as the things. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to put those as the things. Uh, the good news is that people listening, uh, let's say you followed the two girls in the snowman, you saw what their tradition ends up like. It's a new tradition. And they said themselves, no bells, no whistles, a different snowman, a different star on top. And that's where we're ending up. And you can see where we're going right now as this is playing out with the Emmys and the Grammys. And you can see who's on the chair and who people are kneeling to and who people are bowing to and what that tradition is that they want to invite you to. It's satanic. I wish I was doing an overstatement right now, but we're there. We've already gotten there. We've already gotten there with the satanic performances, with the full on kneeling to Satan. I, if I thought I was going to say this 10 years ago, I would have kicked myself off this podcast. But we're there we're there to the new tradition we're there to what you want to be invited to because you didn't get invited to all those old folks stodgy old traditions that you know are out of date and no one needs them and they're and they're mean and short and fat anyways because that's how they were showing on on frozen so guess what you do got you've got a new tradition okay no more christmas no more snowmen or i mean sorry you have the snowman that's your jesus and uh it's satan that's, that's where they want you to end up. They want you to end up not free, submissive, in control, and that's where we end up. So to those saying, whoa, holy moly, this guy's way out there. I am not explaining what I think. I am explaining a depiction of our reality. And it's not, is Andrew looking into this? No, I watch it unfolding day by day and I say, oh my gosh, we're here. This I never would have thought during the Emmys and the Grammys we would have multiple satanic performances. Oh, Sam Smith?
0: Unap- My goodness. Unapologetic, yeah.
1: unapologetic, satanic performances on a normal TV station during a normal period. That is the tradition we have waiting for us. You have to break down the cultural traditions of our last few generations in order to bring up the new tradition of complete bondage. And that's what the satanic tradition is. And that's where we're going. That's, that's, that's the next step. I wouldn't have been able to say that even three years ago. I would have been able to hypothesize about it, given what I had heard in the industry. Now we are so polar and we are so blatant and so unable to splash only a small amount of water on people that the buckets are full on out. They don't have time to like weed around the bush anymore. They're just full on out. Okay, this is what we are. This is what we're doing. This is our goal, bondage. That's the goal, bondage. And so let's watch the next one and you'll get even more of this. You'll see, you'll see the path of how we go. I know, it's heavy. I'm sorry. Uh, it's heavy, but I would way rather you know the heavy than you were ignorant. So keep going. Let's, let's see the next one. Okay, just
0: take a second here.
1: Okay, so this one is one that breaks my heart and soul because this is our company. Uh, I I can't say that. This is the company I was privileged to work for and hope has a successful future, but right now is crushed. And this is number three. Number one was amazing, had no social engineering, had profound wisdom. Number two was pretty good. And number three, they were full on board on it. So here you go, the break apart of marriage. Go ahead. And it's Kung
0: Fu Panda for those listening.
2: Oh no, Master Shifu. I can't hit Shifu.
1: I can. And so can I. Double dad defense. Left dad. Right dad. dad. Back at you dad. We've got this, son. Oh, go dads. Let's finish this. That's our boy. Go dads. It's fun. It's funny. It's funny. And it's sad. Yeah, uh, this is just a small part but this is throughout the entire thing. Uh But, what, breaking... but it
2: leverages the relationship that you've created in the first two with something yep. innocuous, right? Yep. So I I had this relation you have this relationship with his adopted father and then you have this other father and on their own like it's fine, right? And Shifu is this mentor godlike figure. Um there's a yeah
1: it's, uh, it's, it's sad. And uh, what they are trying to do is this is actually not attack on marriage, but motherhood. You noticed how he was holding them. You noticed how one was the way it was and one was the other. You noticed how heroic they were. This is the opposite. When I was explaining how social engineering is done in earlier, I was explaining you put the mouths of people you you put the words of people you hate in the mouths of villains. This is the opposite where you put the words and the behaviors of people you want to uplift in the mouths of heroes, okay, so this is the opposite, so it is building the structure that you don't need a woman, that double dad defense is enough, and as we know, two dads is not. Scientifically and in studies, there is nothing that can compete on age of first sex, education, drugs, Uh, And this is Dr. Blum from John Hopkins University, that a stable mother, female, and a stable father, male. And we are building a culture from the ground up, from children up, uh, that you do not need a mother. This is two dads are good, and they can raise a child. And look how fun it is. Look how wonderful it is. Look how funny it is. And they're using, like I said before, that sugar cookie of humor and music to make it so pleasurable that the message that is not uh, is not honest, is not true, and is not long-term sustainable for a culture, that that message is implanted in the child. Uh, let's check out the next one, and then I think we could probably let the folks go.
2: I think I think the piece you're missing from that one, though, Andrew, is that that even struck me more than those, is the idea that we can have parent, and this is regardless of what the construction of the parenthood symbolization was in there, when you get into the religious semiotics of it, They were destroying the source of wisdom, and I have like, and I know it's a representation of Master Shifu, right? But when the child connects what Master Shifu was, and they represent it, and that they're a godlike figure that teaches you principle upon principle, even that's a that's a dangerous area too, because we've been talking about the goods of parenthood, but parenthood, by necessity, we believe should include a relationship with God, right? yep um and so if we can that's remove right he, god is the go- say, he is the godly is more- figure
1: yeah that's yep.
2: right parent- but parenthood is more important parenthood takes over you don't need to read the scriptures i can just tell you the value you don't need to pray on your own i can have those conversations with you right i can supplant god and i am your god as a parent we see that happening in parenting generally a lot do as i say do exactly there's no room for communication there's no recognition that you're a legitimate child of god who who has who has the ability to learn from God and receive divine personal revelation and I'm your eternal sibling. It's that like, it's this a Thora, I get a mix up. Um,
1: no, it's, you're right. Yeah, That, the, the that is one of the targets. The
2: like, I, I am the parent and I don't need a God. You
1: just need a parent. Harper, daughter. Harper, if you go back to the last one, it's a oh, blue you, Oh, you do, do want
0: the last one. Screen. Sorry, yeah. I thought you wanted the clip.
1: People, people will want to screenshot this because this shows the whole thing. Gotcha. If you pull that up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually uh, didn't bring that up. So thank you. That's, that's, you're right. They do take out Ugwe and they do take out Shifu. And uh, yeah, so uh, you can screenshot this. This is social engineering, the page, how it's done, who are the targets? What is the objective? Who are doing it? What was the key lessons I learned while at DreamWorks? Those two lines were what happened in the meeting when I asked them, would you please uh, find some sort of um, solution to this? They they said, well, Andrew, what would keep you here at DreamWorks? And I said, well, why don't we tell people what we're doing? And then they go into it knowing the transparency, where I believe uh, when you shine a light on it or you are transparent that social engineering cannot exist because people are aware. Uh, Or I said, let's just take it out. And to both of those, they responded, we'll never take it out unless an audience gets mad. Uh, One of the most powerful lessons there is that the audience is in control of the content, not the director. You should know that. And then the next thing they said, this is Holly, the producer at DreamWorks, we're not going to tell them because they would be furious. Within these two lines, I think is the greatest lesson. It's what cost me my job. It's what cost a lot of money to learn that you as the audience are in control. If you go and watch Barbie movie, They're going to make more of that. If you go and watch um, uh, any movie that is good, like Sound of Freedom, they're going to make more of that. They're going to have the budget for it, and that's what they're going to make. So it's actually you, the audience. If you go into a movie and they are social engineering, you can ask the movie theater for your money back. It takes it from the studio, not the movie theater. And that will be a very quick indication that you do not want that. Disney is already learning this lesson. DreamWorks has learned this lesson. Boy Scouts is learning this lesson. CNN is learning this lesson. Uh, The church is beginning to learn some of these lessons. You do not want to follow where these lessons end. DreamWorks is already an example of it where we have completely disbanded. It has been sold. Its property has been sold. Uh, Boy Scouts is on its way to the end. Uh, Disney is halfway there. Uh, You want to learn from these lessons early, and we want to preserve these institutions. So anyways, um, the, the, the next lesson, we're not going to tell anyone what we're doing, is the danger of hiding things. When this is done and it's hidden, and if you're ever in a situation where you're in an organization, you're saying, I'm going to hide that, it goes against, uh, directly against uh, uh, Walt Disney's um, uh, motto, every problem, uh, every problem can be traced back to leadership. It was an open door. He was transparent. This is hide it. Don't let the audience know. Don't let people know and keep doing it. That ends in disillusion. That is what destroyed uh, DreamWorks. And there were multiple people besides me who whistle blew, who pled to not do this, who said, we can't do this. We shouldn't do this. I was the only one that actually left over it and took my name off the credits. But they had many warnings and they didn't do it. And it was, I I would say, one of the first companies to go woke, go broke, which is a term people say right now but it's deeper than that. It was the first company to do architecting of the minds and lose their audience because they prioritized it. I'm going to show you right now the last clip, which is what we did at DreamWorks, and now I want to shoot DreamWorks' praise for actually listening. And they took the proclamation of the family out of the movie. I'm going to show you. We're going to watch the clip. Before we watch the clip, though, I'm going to tell you the religious zealot who voted for Proposition 8 was the target that we were targeting in this movie. Her name is Grunyon. It is you, most of you listening, whether you're a parent or someone who is a Christian, uh, Catholic or evangelical. The overweight lady in the pink dress, that was you before this came out. She was actually wearing a black dress, looked much more like a member of the church. And what happened in this scene is she grabbed a bunch of axes. She started chucking the axes psychotically. And she said, the foundation of our society is the family. Direct quote, almost direct quote from the proclamation of the family, the last paragraph, but it is a quote from other things like the Heritage Foundation, Catholics believe it. And it's taking from the, uh, the idea that the family is the central unit, the fabric of our society. Um, that is what blew up the studio, this scene. Uh, several people left after it. I was the first, it was the reason I left. Um, they knew they were targeting uh, members of the church. They knew they were targeting Catholics. Uh, they knew it and that's what their response was. Um, what you're telling us is we're not being deceptive enough. So they took it down a level. I don't want to make this like I'm attacking them. i not, I love them. I love their creativity. I love their artwork. I think they're one of the best studios ever. I want them to learn from this and not do it and go back to creating beautiful stories that don't have the engineering in it. And I think they have a future if they can do that. He's still alive. He can still do it. Uh, when I asked the director at the final uh, meeting we had yeah. who's the director for um, Lion King and uh, Beauty and the Beast I said and it's a longer story you can hear in the other podcast I said are there any more uh, political or religious agendas that we have in this film before I leave and he took about 10 to 15 seconds and wouldn't say anything and he's in fact he's in front of the entire studio and he said non-intentional and broke it off <sighs> amazing and for someone like us who is skilled in the art of creating characters he said everything in that pause uh anyways let's watch it and you can see what it was changed to and you can see where they would have put it in but thank you and props to them and i give an applause to them for taking out the proclamation of the family this is where it was so you can play it The body. you're under arrest kidnapping, in reckless endangerment, and ma- a multiplicity of MAJOR traffic violations!
2: You don't understand. There's a rip in the space-time continuum. If you arrest me, I won't be able to blah, fix... Blah,
1: blah, blah.
2: For too long, you've bamboozled the world with your fancy jargon and that little red tie of yours, and look what's come of it! Take him away! Wait! Oh. Mr. Peabody! Seven! <laughs> What's gonna happen to Mr. Peabody? Don't you know what happens to dogs that bite? (gasps) Let me go! You don't know what you're doing! Please, before it's too late! Wait! Give him another chance! He's through with chances. Now he has to pay for his mistakes. But I'm the one who made all the mistakes. I'm the one who used the way back without permission. The only mistake Mr. Peabody ever made... ...was me. Sherman. You're absolutely right, Sherman. What kind of a father could this dog ever be to a boy? Maybe you're right, Miss Grenion, but there's one thing you haven't considered. What's that? I'm a dog, too! If being a dog means you're like Mr. Peabody, who never turns his back on you, and who's always there to pick you up when you fall, and loves you no matter how many times you mess up, if that's what it means to be a dog, then yeah, I'm a dog too.
0: All right, fine, you're all dogs, but you can't change the law.
1: peabody you'll make
2: a mistake eventually and when you do i'll be there i'll
0: be honest i kind of wish on i kind of wish you didn't let have them take that out like because if they actually would have said the the foundation of society is the family that would have they would have canceled themselves. I think all audience would have been uh, like, this yeah. is so, that's kind of pretty transparent about their agenda. I don't, it's like you kind, you guys kind of gave them a little bit more of a lifeline than they needed. I don't know, maybe that's my own opinion. <laughs>
1: you're, you're right, you're right, because Trolls came next and several others. Um, I didn't know how to navigate the situation, Harper, because I was trapped. I was trapped between my faith. I was trapped between the skills I was doing, my paycheck, and everything else, and what I resulted in, and there were only about four of us—four to five members of the church—and then there was a Texan, a Jehovah Witness, and several others that were, were were not on board with this. Some people wrote letters. Some people just talked with them. I was the most aggressive, but I came at it as I had to defend. You could probably no, I don't, tell. I don't, I don't, and I don't I blame you I one got bit got for bit of, the record,
0: but. Just like no no it's even if but
1: even if you did i still question today if it wouldn't have been better for me to stay in and try to help from within and my friends from disney asked they, they i've had friends ask should i come to veritas and blow the whistle on disney and i'm like uh, uh i'd be a really good story but i'm pleading with you will you stay there and will you try to help from within uh, that's what i tell them i say they need i i don't want to hurt disney i don't want to hurt dreamworks i don't want them to go out of business I'm asking them to stay where they're at and try to help from within. The problem is, I don't know if you can because what happened at DreamWorks is I left uh, right after this. It was about a week after this, this, this shot was done and everyone got fired anyways. They fired the entire, I have a video if you wanna watch it. It's, I, actually, I don't wanna watch it, it's, it, it hurts. Cause I, I, I'm not looking at people, I'm looking at all their faces as they're waving and they're all getting fired. This is a video you don't wanna see at universities when your university goes broke or when your studio goes broke, or when your church goes broke. You don't want to see everyone waving, saying goodbye, we sold to Japan, or, or wherever they sold to. In this case, that was what DreamWorks did, and Comcast. But what you, just, what you just saw in that video is you saw a very large story. This is what I worked on. You saw a studio asking daily, our directors, why is this villain so psycho? And their response was she is the religious zealot and we're like well she has no backstory motivation. she needs a <laughs> she needs a backstory she needs motivation they don't know our backstory or they wouldn't be doing this they don't know our motivation of celestial marriage eternal marriage they don't when, when people would come from the studio and ask me like why I wasn't great friends with gay people I said I am who do you think sits on the gay table every day I love them there was a gay table I was with them oh totally oh. You, you you what if you listen to the other um if you listen to the other uh podcast you'll see that the person who actually spearheaded all yeah the no i remember that fr- yeah yeah was my friend who's gay he's he, he could care less about religion but he was mad they were ruining the movies yeah
0: yeah i love that he part. was like pit he, yeah.
1: he was the one who was spearheading it and they were they were ruining the movies well what's funny like, is I that like because
0: I, I, have, I have a I have a very close gay friend of mine as well and like he's the type that rolls his eyes at this kind of thing he's like we don't need this like oh they don't want it they
1: don't want it they want to be treated like everyone else as an individual they want to i think that's
2: really important
1: too like when we when we
2: look at each of these where we're like hey we are elevating this content by again we've talked about it over and over in this podcast by pushing the other one lower right we, can't we do can that. advance. We can advance the validity of something. We can advance respect for something. We can advance mm-hmm. by by recognizing Together. it without without denigrating the other thing. It's absolutely possible to do. And I think most people in any of these, when it comes to race, sexual identity, um, paternity, most people want that. They want to do it in that way. They're not mm-hmm. like, man, I want to make everyone else just look awful so that. So that I can have validity for for what for what I believe in, like no, we we endorse people and the things they believe in, um, by and still hold strong to our values.
1: I think you can end on that. Yeah. Steve just summed it up and it was beautiful. I love it. I 100% agree, and you're 100% right, Steve.
0: That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, on that note, like it's it's perfect. And I just can't thank you both enough for coming on. Either either of you, at the same time separately, are welcome anytime to come back on the podcast reach out to me if you want and i'm sure i will reach out to you if there's something that's like pre- prevalent happening in the moment get your guys' opinion on it but i cannot thank you enough this has been so riveting for me and i hope it was the same for everybody listening because this was this is these are real things that we're discussing right now and this is something that you guys have given them and when i say that i mean parents that are concerned about these issues a lot to think about, a lot to chew on, and a lot of ammunition and how to help their own children and to feel protected in this society that we're moving into.
1: Thanks for doing it, Harper. I appreciate you doing it. When I saw your image with hockey sticks in the back, I was like, yeah, I want to know this guy. (laughs) I want to know this guy. And Steve, I was impressed with all of your research, and I would love to hear about more research you do. Uh, The research goes hand in hand with what people like me are experiencing, so we value it like crazy, the academic side of it. So thank you. I
2: appreciate you both taking this on i think i think telling these stories like we have to be a world that tells stories and harper you and i go way back to telling stories we've told stories and argued and discussed these things up and down um a lot of these things the things we can accomplish by just being where we are and being a source of light and truth and kindness and love from where we are and that's That's what when you hear Andrew telling his story, I I honestly, in meeting you here, Andrew, I don't think that it's a place like it's not vindictive. It's like it's like I want to just share a story so people understand how to protect their family, how to love other people, how to guide people through raising children. I mean, like when it comes to raising children, we just want to be able to be a resource to raise our children. And you giving us the opportunity to discuss this, Harper, has been a wonderful
0: experience. Cannot thank both of you enough. Um, Amen. wish you guys the best, and I'm sure we'll stay in touch.
1: All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. See you guys.
0: That'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for checking in, everyone. If you liked what you heard today, I ask super quickly if you could just follow or subscribe to the podcast, give it a rating, give it a review, tell your friends about it. All of that stuff helps me quite a bit. Watching the growth has been super humbling and motivating to keep going. I could not possibly appreciate all of this warmth.
1: Sitting on my table, I'm watching cause everything's changing my mind. Go to a different time. Oh love, I remember falling
0: so madly. There must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night. Cause I could. You fade right out of you if it takes time I, I, if it takes time.